welcome to the inaugural episode of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Rich. Those of you familiar with the site probably know me best as Single Banana on the forums. And joining me each month in this wrap-up will be my co-host of the Retro Playthrough, Jamie, known as Tech Wizard, and also the host of the Modern Community Playthrough, Floyd, known as Fleech on the forums, and Sean, known as GreyGhost81. As some of you know, the community playthrough began when our very own Crabmaster2000 proposed that some of our members join him in playing through The Last of Us in December of 2012. Since then, the playthrough has gone through a variety of changes, including a more structured month-to-month -month frequency, some hosting changes, and last October we added a second monthly playthrough to accommodate both retro and modern titles. As playthroughs grew and participation increased, so did the activity on the forums and game discussion. However, we always felt that there were limitations on what we could discuss during the playthroughs, since often participants were in different parts of the games. At the end of the month, there was usually very little discussion of the games, since most participants had already moved on to the next month's playthroughs. As hosts, we've always felt that not discussing the games at the end of the month left kind of a void in the community, and left us feeling somewhat unfulfilled. We hope that this wrap-up will help to fill this need and further facilitate discussion on the forums. We hope you enjoyed this wrap-up for March playthroughs, Fantasy Star, and The Last of Us, and please share your thoughts with us on the forums. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy Episode 1 of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap-Up. So this month on the retro side, we played Fantasy Star for the Sega Master System. Um, we actually had um, a good crowd to play with us. We had eight people participate. Uh, myself and Jamie participated, as well as Jerry Greenwood, uh, Engineer Mike, Dougley007, Addicted, Eric Scapade, and uh, the Beast, of course, Disposed Hero. And it looks like everyone actually finished the game, so we had some great discussion on the forums, and I encourage anyone um, who is interested to go on the forums and read some of the discussion that we had through the entire month on RF Generation. Uh, but first, I'm going to go ahead and uh, kick it over to Jamie for just a brief description of the game, and we'll get into talking about it. Alright, so uh, Fantasy Star is a Sega Master System RPG that launched in 1988 for North America and Europe. And it was also available as an unlockable game in the Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection for PS3 and 360, which uh, the PS3 version is the one that I played on for this month. Uh, it's one of the earliest story-based RPGs and uh, set the standard for many features in the genre, some of which we'll talk, uh, touch on later. Um, it's uh, sci-fi fantasy setting uh, with a mix of kind of medieval stuff uh, along with uh, spaceships and laser guns and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very unique uh, crossover in that sense. Yeah, and um, it's uh, as you said, it's it's an RPG. Um, it has many RPG elements, but it also has the kind of, um, I guess, kind of old school uh, dungeon crawler elements as well. Um, yeah. Where you're doing the basically the dungeon crawling. It's a, it's a kind of a side-to-side 
um, as opposed to sort of a top-down like you get in uh, games such as uh, Dragon Warrior and uh, Final Fantasy where you're kind of looking down from the top of the dungeon down into into it and this is sort of more of a kind of heads-on approach moving you know yeah, kind of side to side right absolutely first person's best way to describe that mm-hmm. um so i guess you know that's probably a good place for us to start talking about this game um you know i, I know with the with the outworld map um you know it was more kind of a bird's eye view uh, down top down but uh with with the dungeons um it's probably it's probably a good place to start how did you um, basically, how did you guys navigate these dungeons, and um, was this something you enjoyed? Um, I, I know it's very challenging. Was it something you enjoyed, or you know, something that you could have probably done without in the game? I liked uh, the feel of the dungeons overall. Um, uh, there were some elements of it that I didn't really like so much. I'll touch on later. But uh, the first dungeon, the very first one, and the uh, first tunnel in the starting town, I didn't use any maps or anything, um, <laughs> just because they were pretty simple. Right, um, right. Once I got started on that, though, uh, the uh, second uh, dungeon, uh, like it just started ramping up the difficulty pretty quickly, and uh, everything in every dungeon looks the same. Like no matter where you go, it's minor differences in uh, the left and right turns, and whether there's a stair or a door at the end of the hall. Uh, but otherwise, it's all the exact same look, and so you get lost so easily. Um, and at that point, that's where you have to start bringing the graph paper and start drawing your own maps or look up maps online. Right, right. Yeah, for me, it was, you know, for me, those type of games are just completely frustrating. I, I, I have a really great sense of direction, but for some reason, it, it's so disorienting to me to, you know, be playing a video game and, and try to figure out, you know, right, left, and, you know, if, if, if I missed a turn and how far to go back, and, you know, if, if I turn right, the second time, the third time, so so to me it was completely just frustrating. I I stuck with it. I tried to do it for a while. I, I I did not get into the graph paper like like you did and some of our other members did, and you know I, I hate to say it, but I did I did go online and use just dungeon maps. I did not do a walkthrough for the game, but I did use the dungeon maps uh, for the game, and it, it for me it made it uh, you know a much more enjoyable pleasant experience and not as time consuming but you know um had i been younger rich would have would have definitely enjoyed drawing out the maps you know but just something i didn't have time for yeah Uh, i think uh one of the trade-offs with uh not doing your own maps or um attempting to do it blind though i don't recommend that at all but um the trade-off is that uh, when you use the dungeon maps and you know where to go right away you um aren't getting hit by as many battles mm-hmm. through the dungeons, and so you're not actually getting levels as easily, which leads to later on you're probably going to need to do some more grinding. Right. Or you're going to be limited on uh, how powerful you can be and how many fights you can handle. Yeah, and that, and that was the case with, with me. Uh, we were talking about, I think we were asking everyone what level they finished on, their characters finished on, uh, in beating the game, and I finished at level 23. I, I thought it was 25 at first, and I, I went back and looked, and I was like, whoa, I... I finished this game on level 23, which was it was much too low of a level to finish the game on. I, I mean, I, I did beat the game, but everything was just, you know, by the skin of my teeth. You know, it, w- it was so, you know, I, I would lose in, in the final two battles. At least I know that I lost at least two characters. And it was like, okay, well, with the final boss, the very final boss, it's like, okay, this is the last round I've got. I can't heal anymore. And so, 
you know, hopefully this is going to do it. And, and it did. And that's, you know, I, I just kind of squeaked through the game, but, but you're absolutely right. Um, by using those maps, um, I did not have as many random encounters. And, and of course, near the end, I was running from encounters too, to try to save my, uh, magic and my hit points as yeah. well. So even, even then you still, uh, have a struggle with the final boss. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that you actually managed to do it at such a low level. I mean, I uh, felt like I was kind of struggling at level 27 and still having to <laughs> go back to the town, save, and redo areas and stuff like that. Yeah. But then at the same time, I wasn't running from so many battles because I was always paranoid that if I was going to run, they were going to be able to hit me. And then uh, you get uh, uh, more, uh, you take more damage if uh, you run and then they manage to hit you because they get an extra hit in uh, while you aren't attacking them. Yeah, and um, so unfortunately, sorry to interrupt you guys. No, no. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't um, get a chance to play this. I had a lot on my plate, um, but it sounds like this game was was pretty challenging. So, how did you find the difficulty, um, both in battles and in dungeon exploration, and how would you compare it to um, a golden era RPG or a modern RPG? Was it more difficult? Was it? Did it require more? Um, of a of a mental map, so did you have to be more conscious of what you were doing? You know, like, tell me about it. I'm curious. Um, for me, uh, I I found the beginning of the game was extremely difficult. Uh, it was sort of like the beginning and the end were difficult, and in between it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the first, um, let's say the first five hours, I was really struggling, like constantly uh, gaming over and mm-hmm. uh, uh, just barely squeaking through the single enemy, uh, weakest enemy you can fight in the game for a while and uh yeah it definitely took quite a long time before you uh, were anywhere near powerful enough to handle most fights um so it, it was a really steep learning curve uh, like uh the start of the game was pretty rough and i noticed other members on, on the site mentioned the same thing that they had some issues with the beginning of the game but uh, once you added uh one or two more people to your party then everything sort of starts to get a lot easier because not only are you strong enough to be almost one hit killing most of the uh, weaker enemies but you've got one or two other members of your party who can do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think there was a quote uh, on the forums that I pulled. It was from Disposed Hero, and you know, I kid, and I, I call the guy the beast. But the the reason I say that is because he he plays all of our playthroughs. It's it's just amazing, and and we mm-hmm. we really yeah, it's, appreciate it's incredible it. that he's able to keep up with all of this. Yeah, yeah, we we really do appreciate it. We we really appreciate all of his feedback and everyone else's feedback on the forums but one thing that he said he said the game felt impossibly hard at first with me barely being able to make it through a single battle without dying however i preserved and after leveling up earning money and buying better equipment i was tearing through the enemies and and that's that speaks to a lot of what jamie was saying and i I think that so it's like you're you're playing the long game you know you have to really plan ahead Older RPGs, a lot of them were like this, uh, in that they were definitely difficult in the beginning. And you always, I mean, I remember Dragon War, you always, like, you just kind of had to run circles around the intro town, you know, and, and kill a few things, level up, get to, like, level three or four before you could even think about venturing out further from the starting town. Uh, it really made you work. It really made you, you know, level your character up. buy new equipment before you moved on to another spot and I think that has a lot to do with why I think I told you guys what I was doing is I was kind of staying around the towns and and I always when I go to a new town and they have new armor or new weapons uh, I just stick around until and and grind until I can buy those 
new armor and new weapons. Yeah, which I think gave you a pretty big advantage when uh, you probably were grinding for the diamond armor way earlier than you needed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but I think like with with more modern games, uh, people I think people aren't as patient as they were back, you know, back when this was out mm. and back when Dragon Warriors out and I think you know, with developers, they have to think about, well, if I don't get them into this game at the beginning and, and we, and, you know, now they have like tutorials and and these things that like really kind of hold your hand, you know, for at least the the beginning part of the game. Um, I, I think that that's, that's a big difference in this. There's nothing to hold your hand. And there is a kind of a, a tough puzzle like at the beginning of the game, that was just—I I think it—it it aggravated a few people that were playing, and and mm-hmm. I had to kind of tell them what to do. And and I guess we could, you know, we could if unless Jamie, unless you have anything else to say about that, you know, we could we could kind of talk about that and what that was. Uh, no, I just wanted to say that I agree about the uh, sticking around the towns. Um, like I would go to the first square or so, just outside the exit of the town, and. Uh, be walking back and forth in the four or five squares of that space mm-hmm. and just doing that for the first three or four levels at least and um, uh, like after every two or three battles probably I was going back to the town, healing up saving again, coming back and it was just a bit of a grind right off the start, like you don't even do anything in the game and suddenly you're grinding <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you guys said there's a pretty steep learning curve um, mm-hmm. am I right? yeah, yeah. yeah um, and early games most of them, if not all, were notorious for just plopping you right into the game world and just, you know, not giving you or giving you very little context and just sort of, you know, sending you on your way. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. this was no exception. Um, so how hard was it to learn the battle systems and like where you had to go, um, even in, in the overworld? Well, I, I think, you know, you say... They kind of throw you in the middle. I, I, I agree, completely agree with what you're saying, that most games will just kind of throw you in the middle of a scenario and there's not a lot of context. I, I, one of the things I liked about Fantasy Star, it had a nice introduction that gave you some context in, in terms of, you know, basically why you were playing the game. You know, you start out and you find out that um, Alice, is Alice or Alice, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I always said Alice, Alice but yeah, could right, be either. right. Um, that Allison's Alice's bro- brother um, was murdered, and you're kind of going to avenge him. And the the planet has been sort of, um, uh, or the the system has kind of been under the rule of of certain person. And you know, there's monsters have been appearing and that sort of thing. So you get you you get a good like kind of story. I, I think that like a lot of the older RPGs. You so don't it, it gives you context to what you're about to do. It's um right yeah, tells right. you what your your motivation will be throughout right. the game. Right, right. Yeah, in the uh, cutscenes, pretty much like they're, they're not uh, really what we consider a modern cutscene, mm-hmm. but they're like an older style of uh, cutscene, I'd say. And they're beautiful too. They're really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they, for the time. Yeah. Oh, really I, I mean, you know, when you compare it to something like Dragon Warrior, I mean, you didn't have that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it. There was a lot of love put into this game. I mean, I, I could say that a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's it's a really it's a beautiful game um where, where i found like the story doesn't really progress is like in the middle um you know you get your you get like a light, nice little intro you get a a, a a you know decent ending but you you don't there's not a whole lot of story progression through the middle which you know i mean 
you're playing an older game. That's that's going to happen. It's not like a modern game where, you know, the, mm-hmm. well, the story is pit- the key element. Yeah. Sorry, that seems to be a pitfall of a lot of uh, RPGs, whether they're you know new or, or old. The middle mm, seems to yeah. just sort of pad it out. Um, like the tempo slows down. That the atmosphere changes. Right. Um, and I, I guess those middle sections are just encouraging you to grind and just prepare for the the upcoming difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they sort of keep you in the stories and the mindset uh, with uh, all of the people in every town you meet. Uh, they're constantly referencing elements of the story. And so you are getting little bits of it, but it's sort of through environmental cues and the ambience of the game, not so much through direct story progression. Mm-hmm. Um, not uh, like the cutscenes you get at the beginning or the end, and nothing really obvious that stands out. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's, uh, I guess let's talk a little bit about the game and um, as far as kind of what it borrows from. Um, I was kind of reading online about it a little bit. I like to get a little context and read a little bit about the games and one of the things that it talked about was that this was um, one of the first games to sort of a have a, a female heroine, and then b also sort of break away from that Arthurian trope. Um, you know that that sort of medieval uh, um, atmosphere, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that kind of be a good place to start to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd say, I saw your note about that, and I'd say it uh, it doesn't totally break away from it because it's still uh, heavily medieval in a lot of ways but yeah. i think it uh it modernizes it it kind of adapts it a bit absolutely um, like it takes uh, some of the same elements from those kind of stories and adds in spaceships and stuff like that and, right um uh, it's it's like a medieval story with an upgrade right more or less i had in my notes star wars meets camelot you know just yeah sort of. <laughs> i like that <laughs> so that, that that's sort of how it is and, and it's it's really it's neat. It's very. Um, I was thinking about it before. It's kind of steampunk almost in a way, right? Because you've got these old things yeah, and you're that. kind of modernizing them. I mean, not not the same way steampunk is, but yeah, but the same mindset, same mindset, like, same theory mm. behind it. Because you're you're sitting there like, okay, um, I've got a guy over here shooting people with lasers, and then I've got a guy with a shield and an axe. Like, what is going yeah. <laughs> on? I mean, and, and, you know, these axes are doing much more damage than these lasers are doing or these, you know. And it's, uh, you know, it, it 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 still works, you know. It doesn't, like, break the fourth wall or anything like that. You know, it's still fun and, and it's great. You don't really think about that kind of stuff when you're playing. But I could but, imagine, yeah. you know, sort of putting yourself into, <laughs> a, into a late 80s, maybe early 90s sort of mentality, you'd think that's really cool. You'd, you'd be really oh, excited yeah. about, you know, axe-wielding guys and fighting laser guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something like a blood dragon kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, um, like I said, it does, It does, and, and like Jamie said, it does sort of borrow steel from that Athorian legend. It's still there, it's still present, it's very much still a part of the game but it's added some space elements it's added you know uh, the ability to travel like interplanetary travel and and that sort of thing which which i loved i thought it was really cool i like the um yeah uh, cool uh little cutscene transition uh thing between each planet which i really enjoyed though it's nice that uh, that you could also skip it too because after seeing it once or twice you kind of get 
tired of it, but right. Um, it was uh, really awesome the first time you see that you go on the spaceship and total new world. It's almost a whole new game. Yeah, and the and the variation of the planets too, having the, you know, the sort of the lush green planet, having the ice planet, and then having the desert. You know, um, yeah, mm-hmm. that that was that was really cool. You know, it, it wouldn't be like living in the U.S. where you you you. You decide like, oh well, let's see what I want to do. Do I want to live near the beach, or do I want to live in the mountains, or, or it's sort of like, okay, I think I want to live in a planet that actually has green stuff on it, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's 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 really cool. I, I just I, I really enjoy like traveling from planet to planet as opposed to you know like Final Fantasy and Dragon where you've got this you've got a map but it's all like on the same planet and I, I thought that was just a just a really nice touch to the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scale of those older ones, or, well, I guess newer than this, but those other ones are uh, much smaller scale in terms of uh, the uh, locations. What did you guys think of the Greek mythology sort of theme going on there? One of you mentioned that in your in your show notes. Yeah, um, that was something I wanted to touch on. Uh, there's quite a few, uh, well, not too many, I guess, but... Uh, are they, are they just sort of, of like nods reference. to mythological characters, or do they sort of incorporate that into the story uh, a bit of both i think uh the uh, perseus and the medusa story they incorporated mm-hmm. it more heavily because the uh character that you get added to your party odin um at the beginning of the game medusa has turned him to stone and um somewhere in the game i think it's from talking to a character uh, an npc you uh, learn that um medusa had been reborn after fighting perseus and being killed by him and so uh uh, after being reborn, Odin had gone to try and destroy her, and uh, he failed, basically. And so, um, they also have Perseus' shield, which is what you need to be able to protect yourself from uh, Medusa. Yeah, the mirror shield is what it's called. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they definitely did their homework. Yeah, uh, yeah, they used uh, some elements. I'd say, um, but I think that uh, a myth there is the only one that they directly incorporated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other references, yeah. like just names that are taken from mythology, like, um, I looked up a few of them here. There's uh, the Lyconia um, metal uh, that's used in the strongest uh, weapons and armor of the game. Um, apparently that's actually a region of Greece in the oh. Peloponnese where the capital is Sparta. And um, uh, Sparta being known, of course, for its uh, uh, superior soldiers and uh, that they were considered undefeatable in battle. Right. And so that makes sense for uh, that region uh, being associated with the super strong metal in the game. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the uh, Alerima, which is apparently a, a small village in Greece. And, um, and and then there's also other references to uh, like, uh, Alice's brother Nero, who's the name of a Roman emperor. And uh, then you've got Odin, who's the god of Norse mythology. Right. Yeah. So something for fans of mythology, fans of, you know, antiquity. That's mm, cool. Right. You know, sort of broadens, uh, broadens, you know, the potential audience, I guess. Yeah, something a little different than the average video game. Yeah, yeah. or or fans of the Ray Harryhausen Clash of the Titans, which if you <laughs> haven't seen it, pick it up. It's great. <laughs> so yeah, it, it does the whole uh, Medusa mythology in that movie, and so mm, it's, yeah. it's what I automatically think of. But yeah, um, yeah, it was it was it was neat. It was a it was kind of like a I guess kind of a throwback, kind of a nod to you know these um, you know different. Um, things in the past um you know it kind of gave it I, I guess what was odd for me about it was like you palma you kind of almost thought of that place as sort of earth right you know you kind of replaced yeah, it, it felt like. and and to have like these 
myths that were from Earth, it's kind of like, well, did you know, is this Earth that's been changed later on? You know, is it now Palma? Is that what the name of the planet is now, you know, in the future? Or mm. is this something that carried over from one galaxy to another? You know, it was it was well, kind of... That's, some, that's something, uh, I, I could see that if you only play the game and don't read the manual, that's something that you could take from it. Uh-huh. But uh, in the manual, they actually say that uh, the uh, Algol uh, star system, which is where the game is based right. on, is in the uh, Andromeda galaxy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, so I think they're trying to say that it's definitely not Earth, but right. uh, uh, yeah, that's sort of a trope with a lot of sci-fi and any sort of thing where it's supposed to be another world uh, where you wonder how do these people know English and how do they know all these <laughs> references to Earth uh, mythology and right. different uh, locations. Right. And um, yeah, uh, one of the things I found out when I was uh, looking up influences for the game uh, was uh, I looked at the uh, apparently the Al Gore, uh star system is actually a real star system. Uh, about 100 light years from Earth and is visible to the naked eye even. Right. Um, and uh, it's even found in the constellation Perseus, which might be a part of why uh, they included that myth into the game. Well, that would make sense. Or maybe it's yeah, or maybe it's the other way around. The myth came first, and they decided to choose that location for where it uh, is uh, set. Right. So we were kind of talking about. I guess we were talking about the mythology. We're talking about Odin and the, the character. Um, kind of transitioning to talking about the characters a little bit um it, it seemed that you you have these four characters and they all fit these sort of molds right you've got you've got odin who is a um sort of your very strong sort of your almost like your tank right he's got like the, i believe from what i remember um he has like the majority of the hit points um and so he he does he's not a heavy hitter uh, in the game, but um, you know he, he kind of can hold that hold all those dam hold all the damage and um, he's not a magic user and so he's sort of just like a big kind of a big lug a tank but he does have the special ability later of you know being able to um, have the the crossbow and to fire on to um, or the guns and the crossbow I guess to fire on um, multiple enemies at one time. Um, uh, I want to actually comment on that and say that uh, I found, uh, I think that was their intention for him mm-hmm. to be the tank, but uh, throughout most of the game, I found he was actually my weakest character. Right. He was the one that seemed to die the fastest, and um, mm-hmm. cool. uh, even though his hit points were fairly high, uh, his uh, defense was so low most of the time. Right. Um, it wasn't until near the end of the game when you get uh, the uh, Laconian armor and the axe, uh, where then he is really the tank. He's definitely the strongest at that point. Right. That's like a typical RPG thing, though. Mm-hmm. You know, if, like high hit points often comes at at a trade off. So right, this I guess that that's you know that's what you're talking about. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and I guess my point was you're kind of seeing those sort of tropes throughout the th- the three characters, you know, or the four characters. Um, you've got Alice, who I, I guess is probably your I would say is your most well balanced character. I mean, she she hits pretty hard. She has pretty good defense doesn't take a whole lot of damage uh she's a, a magic user but there's she's not a healer right she she does have one heal spell but it's very weak um yeah it's only useful early in the game and after that i never used it right right and then you have um i believe it's pronounced it's m-y-a-u but it's me- yeah, meow meow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which fits it's a, it's a little kind of cat-like creature so it fits you know it makes sense 
and um, the cat actually becomes like your primary healer. I feel like you know in the game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I use him for the same uh, wave throughout most of the game, and uh, he's. He's pretty good at fighting once you get the silver fang. Absolutely. For him eventually, uh, but early on he's not that great because he has almost no armor or weapons that he can get. Yeah. Like, I think there's only the two weapons: the iron and the silver yeah. fang. And even with the iron fang, he hits pretty hard. He hits harder than most of the other, uh, most of the other tunes. So, uh, you know. Yeah, he... uh, I uh, I didn't really get to actually experience that because uh, I uh, kind of skipped that dungeon, and okay. so until I got the silver fang, I didn't even have the iron one. Okay. And then after getting the silver fang, I went back to that dungeon, not realizing. Right. Uh, what it was, and uh, uh, so I picked up the Iron Fang after I already had the strong one. Yeah. So maybe my experience with him might have been different, but absolutely, yeah, absolutely was different then because I mean, you know, having having him and having him being able to hit as hard as he did with the um, with the Iron Fang, he became probably m- my strongest character as far as you know melee. Um, so um, and then he was the healer too so it was sort of sort of this odd mix you know of, you know the heavy hitter plus sort of like the white mage you know that you see you know later on in in games like final fantasy where you know you really do have these strong traits you know um mm-hmm. and then you had yeah, things aren't quite as clear cut in fantasy star right right it's it's a little mix a little jumbled up and then you've got noah who basically um has no armor i mean just like a robe and this is your typical i mean if i had to put it into a box it would be sort of like a black mage right someone who has um you know this really strong spells but really low hit points but at the same time you know even though um noah's wearing like a robe um doesn't take much heavy damage from what from what i noticed i think there's only one like item you you end up getting in the game for him yeah uh, he was pretty good at uh, taking uh, damage he always had low hit points but um i found uh it almost seemed like enemies were missing him more often for me sometimes mm-hmm. i don't know if that was just uh fluke uh, chance or right if that's actually the way it was but, no it was um, for me that it was like that for me as well so i, I think it yeah. must be something built into the game you know well, the trade-off with him, of course, being that he had extremely low attack power. His uh, physical attack, that is, was uh, um, like a fraction of what everyone else could do. When everyone else was doing 20 to 30 damage per hit, you were doing like maybe 5 at most, if you were hitting at all. Right, right. And so, with the, I guess with the spellcasters, um, what, what did you think of the array of spells that you, know, you were given? Uh, some of them... Uh, I uh, use like all the time uh, the uh, mostly the defensive ones like the cures and mm-hmm. uh, protect and wall I use those a lot okay and um, uh, heal I use a lot early on right uh, a little bit later if I was low on magic but not very much um, yeah otherwise I didn't really use too much uh, I mean I use uh, of course uh, Noah's attacking spells uh, as much as possible right but even those I tried to conserve them a lot of times because I didn't want to risk running out if I came across a really strong fight later. And so I was kind of saving them when uh, I probably didn't need to so much. And also, uh, until I got the uh, flute, I was always worried about running uh, out and not having enough for the uh, exit spell, which is required to safely get out of a dungeon really quick. Yeah. So do you guys uh, think that this sort of the battle system falls into that uh, typical, you know, buff, you know, like buff up your guys, debuff the enemies, um, sort of, you know, ma- like maintain your your, you know. Um, 
status stuff and then you know slowly yeah. whittle away or i'd say it has that option uh with uh, one or two spells but it's uh, quite a bit simpler than that really most of the time it's just straightforward um attack as long as mm-hmm. you can and then heal when you need to yeah and uh, there isn't really much in the way of uh, buffs and debuffs uh, for anything like that there's one spell um which will boost the attack power of uh, the person you apply it to but yeah and it's called i think it was called help yeah that's what it was called mm-hmm yeah. But otherwise, there wasn't really much. There was also uh, Terror, which I never actually used with the whole game, so I don't really know what that one does, but um, that one was a, a debuff of some sort on the enemies. Yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, Rich, you would use that at all. Um, No. I, I mean, and I, I didn't use either. I didn't use Help or Terror. Um, You know, I, I know that you, know, you, you mentioned like using like Protect and Wall. I, I, I really didn't use those either. I mean... I, to me, it was basically just a kind of just a hack and slash magic, you know, sort of combat game. Um, I, I mean, with the, with some of the bosses, I think I probably used wall, you know, and, and it was you know a better, um, it, you know, it, it was a better approach to the battle. You know, if I knew so it for a, sure it was going to be a magic. Was user. it a war of attrition for you? Just sort of try to outlast your enemies. A lot of the time, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was. It's also hard to tell with the defensive ones. Um, like, uh, Wall uh, is one that applies to all your people, and I think it's supposed to be, like the name implies, it's a wall that goes between you and the enemies. Right. And the enemies can actually smash it down. They can break down. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so there are some enemies where they just always broke it down. And later on in the game, uh, that seemed to be more common, and so I got to the point where I just wasn't really using it because it seemed to be almost wasting a turn sometimes. Yeah, when uh, Meow or Noah both could do decently strong attacks if I didn't use it. And not only does it waste a turn, it wastes mana, which mm-hmm. is limited in this game, and there are no items to replenish your mana. The only yeah, you way you can replenish is going back to a town and uh, and resting. Ooh, um, that's pretty punishing. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely <laughs> tough. It was, it was definitely a, a tough part of this game. Um, the item system with the um, you know, the, the items that you could use to heal with did not, um, it was like hamburger, <laughs> which was odd too. It was kind of funny, you know, oh, hamburgers. Yeah. yeah great. Let's let, let me stock up on hamburgers before I go raid the dungeon. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, when am I going to be able to buy cotton candy? You know, when is that going <laughs> to give me more health back? <laughs> Are you fighting a dragon? It's like, hold on, I just need to have a burger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I better eat this burger. Yeah. But even so, I, I can't remember the exact amount that it restored, but it wasn't a lot. Was, uh, I think it was 40 health. 40, yeah, I believe you're, you're right. right. Yeah, I think you were, uh, like most people were around 200 by the end of the game, at least for me. Right. And you have creatures at the end that are taking off, you know, 20 something and 30 something a hit. And so it's sort of like, what's the point? You know, it, mm-hmm. it, for me, that was, that was a big deal. Um, in the game and well, yeah when you have an enemy who can take off 10 percent like even something as low as 10 percent of your hp and it's only 200 you know you're pretty intimidated by that mm-hmm. oh yeah and and when you're when you don't you can't regen mana in any way i mean you really have to conserve and that's why you know i found it, i was too low going into the you know the final area but i mean i could still win those fights but i would have to use too much mana usually to do it and so to conserve i was running and with this game it it allows you to run fairly easily you can you can usually um get away from almost any battle 
and mm. some tr- sometimes it may take you three tries, but usually you're going to get away. So, so what what kind of strategies did you guys use in battles? So it sounds like you had to really, you know, um, plan. You know, if if you're going to be more uh, attacking with magic or physical stuff, you had to sort of, you know, anticipate the final boss of a dungeon or or the final boss of the of the game. Uh, yeah, I found uh, for me my strategies were uh, not so much strategy; it was more just like fear based almost, <laughs> because I was uh, <laughs> worried. Uh, like, yeah, it's like, uh, do I conserve uh, and fear that there might be someone around the corner who's stronger than this enemy I'm fighting right now, or do I, uh, or is this actually the strongest enemy in this dungeon, and should I be hitting him with all the magic I have? And uh, uh, you don't really know so until there's it's too a late. huge element of uncertainty. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really uncertain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's no clear um, idea when the boss fights are going to be. There's a few dungeons where the boss fight is just in a completely random spot in the hallway, and mm-hmm. it looks the same as every other spot in the dungeon. Right, yeah. And so there's little time to prepare uh, for some battles, and uh, also the encounters are random. There's no uh, enemies that you see on the screen either, uh, just like in most RPGs. Right. So there's also that. Um, in battle, uh, one element that I don't think we mentioned yet is that you can only attack, uh, or you only can select one enemy mm-hmm. on the screen, but there can be multiple, up to uh, six, I believe. And um, so that actually lowered the amount of strategy you could use because in most RPGs, you'd be like, if you have a weak enemy and uh, then a bunch of strong enemies, you'd want to hit the weak one with your weakest guy because you could probably take it out and then save your strong attacks for the stronger ones. Mm-hmm. But in this game, you don't have that choice no. uh, because uh, it's just completely random for whoever uh, it's going to hit. Right. Like uh, Your weakest attack might hit uh, the um, strongest guy, and then your strongest attack might hit the one who only has one health left. Right. And right. you don't have any control over that. It's uh, just the game decides for you, basically. So, you, yeah. so like, you can select one of your characters to attack, but... Who they yeah. attack is random, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's... like, uh, basically you select the character and then you just say attack, and it just attacks whoever it feels like. Right. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely different than most RPGs in that sense, and uh, I wasn't a fan of it. Quite a few people weren't, but there were a few people who played with us that, uh, and they liked it. Uh, I think Cherry Greenwood was one of them, and, um, uh, yeah, most of the people uh, weren't a big fan of that, because it did, uh, to me, make it more frustrating and... Uh, it lowered the amount of strategy. So is that a required. common thing to fantasy star games? I can't really say because this is the first time either. I've actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is the first game in the series that I've played myself. So. Right, right, hmm. and uh, uh, just just to hit on something that you were speaking about too, I felt like when when I would attack, um, you know, a lot of times my strategy um, in these games that have multiple enemies where you can select enemies is to, I will. If I know I can take out an enemy, I'm going to go ahead and take out that enemy before they have another round of attacks. You know, basically lessening the amount of yeah. uh, you know damage that I'm going to take through the whole fight. And that that was really kind of aggravating when you've got like a guy that's got like all these hit points, and you've got a guy who's down to like seven or something that you can know you can take out with one blow, and that that character's getting to hit you every round, and you're like, oh. You know, please, you know, just let it randomly select that person to hit. So at least I'm not mm-hmm. taking that hit, you know, for another round. And and to me, that was frustrating. I I did not like that about the game. I know there were at least a few times where I died because of that. Right. Like, you know, times where I, if it was up to me, I would have been able to easily win. But I was stuck fighting a bunch of people who were low health, but I wasn't hitting the ones that uh, I needed to hit. Right, right. And so I was still being hit by all their attacks. Yeah, it, as yeah, far it as sounds, it, sounds pretty... Uh 
frustrating. And I guess it could be a deal breaker for people. And that it's yeah, like so, it so much of a, of a luck element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only strategy involved is really just on uh, conserving magic, I found, and um, which weapons to use to. There's a few weapons uh, for certain characters where, um, like, mainly what I'm thinking of is Odin's guns, because uh, you have a trade off between using either his axe or sword or the guns, and the guns are something that can hit every enemy every time, but they do a very low amount of damage. Mm-hmm. Or you can use the, uh, the sword, which has a chance of missing and it only hits one person, but it does a massive amount of damage. Right. Right, so every so, move is a gamble, yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, there's a little bit of strategy uh, with uh, choosing things ahead of time, but once you get into the actual fight, there's not that much. Yeah, like with a gun, basically what happens is your gun will take, I think the, the numbers were, I think it starts out at 10, 15, and then it goes up to like 25, maybe? Something like that, yeah. And, and what, what happens is if you have multiple enemies, um, when, when Odin fires the gun, every enemy takes 10, 15, or 25 points of damage. So so that can be... I think that's regardless of what their defense power is. Right, right. Regardless, it, that's negated. They're going to always take that amount of damage. And it for me, it always hit, too. You didn't have to worry about missing, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, and and if you you know if you add the damage up, it's it's a, it's a high amount of damage for every, you know, um, when you when you add it all up compared to what your other characters are doing. So I I did find myself uh, using the guns more than I did the the hand melee weapons, just just because it to me it just kind of made a little more sense. And if you did have that enemy who was kind of like uh, you know kind of staggering around with like seven hit points or whatever, it would take that enemy out as well. You know, so that was always kind of a nice, uh, mm. a nice reason to use the guns over the hand weapons. I thought. Yeah, no one else really had any uh, weapons that I can think of like that. It's no. mostly just Odin. Right, right. And so, I guess we're, we're we're talking about the combat screen a little bit, and you know, this inability to the multiple enemies, inability to select an enemy. Um, there there were some other things on the combat screen that you know I just kind of wanted to address and talk about. Um, one was. Um, the the background animations which i thought were beautiful i mean it was yeah. amazing Those were really good for the time um you did not really have this in any other game at that time you know you would just have an enemy that would pop up and they would just stand there these like you would have these uh, manticores um you know like half lion half scorpion and you would see their tails like flip at you and stuff that was that was just really cool and the vampires would like spin into balls <laughs> you know, really fast. I, I don't really know what that did, but uh, it was <laughs> it was cool. You know, nonetheless, to have yeah. something that was like interactive. I mean, you, when Dragon Warrior, you know, you would swing and you would hit an enemy, and it would just like make a you know sound, and they might like mm. the screen might flicker. You know, where you hit them. Uh, but this or was uh, just Final Fantasy, where right. they just generically swing their sword uh, <laughs> yeah. repeatedly, and every enemy does the same animation. Right, right. <laughs> but this was. Uh, it was a the animations were uh, just such a nice touch and it was it's just a, it was a beautiful game I thought you know nice mm-hmm. detail uh, in the enemies I thought and just I thought that was one of the strong points of the game. Yeah, I saw so. pictures and visually it looked quite uh, quite fantastic. You know that's that's one thing I'm really sorry that I missed out on just to see the game. Yeah, the colors were really nice. Uh, like I felt everything was much brighter than most NES games that I've seen. Yeah. And I, I, you know, as as annoyed as I was by the inability to um, select multiple enemies in the combat, I, I still think this is a game that um, 
anyone who enjoys playing role playing games should play. I mean, I think that, I think, you know, it's a little bit of an aggravation, but once you get into the game, you get used to it and you just kind of have to decide, well, you know what? It is what it is. This is just the way it is. And I think after that, you're fine. You know, Mm -hmm. you you just don't even think about it really anymore. So would this only be for serious RPG fans or could anyone get into it? I I think if anyone had the motivation, they could if they wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like we said, everyone who participated this month actually did finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But uh, it, it does feel like it's a pretty difficult game, and if uh, you're easily uh, turned off by uh, a, a difficult start to a game, it could uh, really uh, deter people from playing. Uh, I, I, um, but I think it's worth trying for everyone just to see if it's something they might be interested in. I completely agree. I mean, I think it's it's a tough game, and um, you know, it's not something you're just gonna like come come into. You're gonna start playing, and it's you know, it's gonna hold your hand through the beginning of the game. I mean, you really have to you have to put work into this game, you know, to beat it. But I think it says so much that we had eight people to play this game, start this game, and all eight people finished it. And and I think that says something about the game. I think that like once you kind of accept that challenge and you realize, wow, you know, this is this is really tough, but that toughness, I think, is what makes you stay with the game. I think, mm-hmm. like, you yeah, know... It's a, it's a personal victory, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I felt so awesome after I finished that game, and especially the way I finished it. I mean, good night, you know, like like on the last round, you know. I mean, I think I jumped up and threw my hands in the air, you know, like I was <laughs> going through the finish line at the Boston yeah. Marathon, you know. I mean, it just it just felt so awesome, you know, to, to, to beat this game. Um and so, you know, and, and I hope everyone who finished it felt that way. And, and from what from what I gathered from the forums, they seem to people. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, I mean, that's I think, awesome. Yeah, I don't I don't think this game's for everyone. I, I would not say that. I, I would say that there's people that do not have the patience for this type of game. But I think that this is a great game for people who are serious about playing a tough RPG and serious about mm-hmm. RPGs and 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 really wanted to that's know fair. the history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair, yeah. Where everything started. Yeah, so that that that's a good point. You know, so where it all started. Do you think this game um, is one of the early RPGs that really set uh, the bar for what was uh, in, coming in the future? I think so. Yeah, I don't know too many of the older RPGs. I mean, my only experience is this now and uh, Final Fantasy, the original one on NES. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, between those two, I'd say that uh, uh, this definitely set a lot of standards. Um, I mean, Final Fantasy did as well, but it came a bit later, and so I think uh, this got a, the jump on Final Fantasy. Yeah. Well, Final Fantasy seemed to improve on a lot of things, but yeah, it did. So, would you say that Fantasy Star um, maybe set the groundwork for you know, like what an RPG can do or should do? Yeah, or at least so, in, in the context of that time period. Yeah, I think it definitely did, especially with the uh, story elements, how they were so integral to the gameplay and um, uh, how uh, well it was incorporated uh, versus maybe older ones where it was just the gameplay and not really much story. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I've never played the Dragon Warrior games, and so I don't know to compare with that, but I think, Rich, you mentioned that there was only one enemy on screen at any one time, or someone mentioned that. That's right. And you can only hit one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Fantasy Star, it has one visually on screen, but you can hit multiple enemies. And then you go to Final Fantasy where it's the next level, and it's uh, multiple enemies and multiple targets to hit, and you can see them all at once. And it seems like it's a natural progression. Yeah. And, and even though I'm not sure about the 
actual specific date. I can tell you this, Fantasy Star and Final Fantasy came out in the same year in Japan. They came out in 87. Now, oh, wow. Fantasy Star was released in the U.S. in 88, but Final Fantasy wasn't released in the U.S. until 90. Oh, so, so that's right. I thought it was uh, farther apart. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and so did I. And so did I until I, you know, I, I did a little bit of research and, and looked on it. But I, so I, I don't, because they were released around the same time, I don't think that Fantasy Star probably had any influence on Final Fantasy. Uh, no, not too likely. Though. Yeah, it's probably likely case. that they didn't because they were released so close in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I definitely see where things were, you know, Final Fantasy completely gets all the credit because it was on the Nintendo, you know, and mm. the, the Sega Master System was just not a popular console. You know, it wasn't until the mm-hmm. Genesis that Sega really took off. But I, but I can see things in, in newer RPGs and then even RPGs that were in, you know, on the Super Nintendo, um, on the Sega Genesis. I can definitely see where things were borrowed from Fantasy Star as well as Final Fantasy because there, there, there are definitely some differences in each. But, yeah, um, uh, they're very different games. Right. Uh, the only uh, time I feel like they were similar was on the Overworld. I th- thought that was fairly similar feeling mm-hmm. uh, of exploration and random encounters and all that. Right. But uh, almost everything else is different. Right. Like, they're very different games. Um, uh, and before we go much farther, I uh, just wanted to go back to one last point on the uh, combat screen. Um, which I hadn't mentioned was the treasure chest at the end of the battles. Uh, that's the only, I that's the only thing those. I haven't marked off yet. Yes, let's talk about the treasure chest. Oh, yeah. yeah, I heard uh, you guys had some um, less than favorable issues with the treasure yeah, chests. Um, they were hit and miss. Some people were okay with them, others weren't, uh, but they were definitely not my favorite thing in the game. Um, uh, so how the treasure chest works uh, for uh, you, Floyd, and anyone who hasn't played it, um, uh, you... Uh, finish the game and normally in a game you just get a straight up reward you get golden experience and that's it um in this one you get the experience with no uh, risk but then the the uh, money that you get uh, is in a treasure chest and you have a choice uh, whether or not you want to open it and if you say no then you just get um the menu screen pops up and uh, from there you can uh, cancel out and not open it at all so you get no money from the battle and the reason you sometimes want to not do that is because if you do open it, there's a chance that it could be booby-trapped, and uh, then it'll be either an explosion or an arrow. And the arrow will hit one person and damage them, and the explosion will hit everyone and damage them. And so it turned uh, the uh, uh, reward of the battles into almost another battle of its own, <laughs> because every time uh, at the end of a fight you're uh, like, well, do I want to risk losing health to get a little more money, or... Uh, should I just pass on this? Was, was money really easy to come by, or w- would it, it be worth taking that risk? Um, early on, I thought it was uh, worth the risk because you did need quite a bit of money. But later in the game, I was just totally uh, rich. Like I didn't need the money at all. I mean, I had the best of all armor, and I think I beat the game with almost thirty thousand uh, MST, yeah. uh, which is the currency in the game, <laughs> and. So it's just like, uh, at that point, I started passing on every treasure chest because I didn't want to risk getting any damage, and I was like, I don't need more money, like, at all. There's just no point in me uh, risking the health of my characters for uh, the small amount of money I'm going to get out of this. Well, let me ask you this. When, when, like, besides the end of the game, did you not open a treasure chest? I mean... Uh, there were definitely times really? in dungeons where... Uh, yeah, there were a few times. I know some people said they didn't understand not opening them. Yeah. But um, uh, for me, there were times where 
I think Medusa's Tower might have been one of them okay. and a couple others where the dungeon was really long uh -huh. and um, I was running low on health and also mm -hmm. low on uh, magic for cures. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, uh, it just wasn't really worth going for the money when I knew that the uh, traps would uh, do more damage than it was worth. Right. And uh, also that the traps could potentially actually kill me. Okay. Okay. Well, I... <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and, and Floyd, since you didn't play, the, the damage was... I want to say fairly insignificant. You know, I I don't remember anything that I never died from a trap. Um, right. But but again, I, I wasn't like keeping up with like how much damage it did. But at the same time, I think this kind of reiterates that point of you not using dungeon maps or playing the game the correct way, and myself using dungeon maps right because i was able yeah, to navigate through those a lot quicker i could just pick up the chest as i wanted to and and that was fine you know but i can mm -hmm. i can definitely see like where you're drawing out your own maps and you're having to spend a lot of time and dedicate a lot of time to dungeons how that could um you know work on you and you would really want to conserve as much uh, health as you could so yeah yeah i found the damage later on it was actually pretty significant uh, i don't know um, if it was randomized or if it was maybe progressive, like as you got to a higher level, it did more damage. Um, but I know that some of the uh, late game dungeons, when I was getting hit with uh, the explosions from the treasure chest, it was taking a good third to maybe 40% of my health off my characters. Hmm. Like I had a couple times hmm. where near the end of the dungeon, I would have healed everyone up to full health. Uh, so like around 180 to 200 health. And then I got hit by one trap and I'm down to less than 100 for everyone. Oh wow, that's... Uh... Yeah. That, yeah. I don't know what to say. That really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. It's a good way to put it. It sucks. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at that point, uh, I mean, I had so much money and uh, the traps did so much damage, at least to me, uh, that uh, it wasn't worth uh, going for the money at that point. Yeah. And like uh, the burgers cost, I think it was 40 or tw maybe even less than that uh, of the MST. And when I have tens of thousands, uh, there's nothing. So, uh, there, and there was nothing else to buy besides the uh, healing items uh, that I really needed to, at that point in the game. Right. So uh, the stockpile was enough to last me forever, basically. And uh, the risk versus reward tended to balance more towards the risk in my favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have a limited inventory? Because I know a lot of earlier games would only um, allow you yeah. to carry a certain amount of uh, of items. Yeah, I think uh, 24 was the max you could carry at any one time, and um, it also put your uh, quests and key items into the same inventory as the consumables, like uh, okay, uh, the yeah. healing items and stuff. So, so would that be 24 items in total, or 24 yeah. of one kind? No, in total. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, they didn't uh, stack or anything like that. Okay. Like, if you wanted to have a bunch of healing items, you just have a whole screen where it said burger and nothing okay. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Addicted, uh, who played the playthrough with us, I think he was one that mentioned about that, you know, um, you know, not being able to sort his items, um, you know, and then having you know, having important game items in the same spot as consumables. Mm -hmm. I think you just kind of knocked it off to, well, it's an early game, you know, maybe they just haven't gotten around to that yet. And um, I, I think that's the case. I, I think a lot of the early games, and from what I remember about Dragon Warrior, I'm, I'm really far removed. I actually bought Dragon Warrior on launch, if you can believe that. Oh. But, um, but yeah, um, I, I don't remember in that game anything stacking, and I can't, I can't speak for Final Fantasy. I'm Pretty far removed so it kind of falls well. into that uh, spreadsheets with graphics 
stereotype. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I found the thing with um, consumables and quest items being the same thing. I was always paranoid when I go to sell things if I was going to sell something really important. And oh, I don't yeah, know if that was actually be the same. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's actually possible because I never wanted to uh, risk it and mm-hmm. uh, have it happen. But um, if it is possible, that's definitely a big risk, and that's something that uh, uh, I was yeah, always paranoid. Yeah, you have to be really careful. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're paranoid in this game, save. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember you guys saying that. It's just like, oh my save often. Yeah, I almost wonder if that's a good segue into the save. Absolutely. Talk about those? Absolutely. It's on the list. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about it. Um, uh, so we'll start with mine because I had first hand experience with saving a lot of issues. Um, so the first, the most important, uh, which will have no effect on anyone who is playing an actual cartridge original version, but on the uh, Ultimate Genesis collection for PS3 and 360, there's actually two ways to save, uh, or two ways to save. And I didn't realize this the first time playing. Um, the uh, in-game save, uh, the same way you would have on the original cartridge, is still there and it still works, but um, it only works while the system's on. And then as soon as you turn the system off, it uh, forgets everything you saved. And uh, it could even be to the point where you um, uh, quit the game, went back to the Sonic Ultimate Genesis menu, came back in, it still remembered you save. And then you power off the system, though, and then it's forgotten it. And I don't know why they incorporated that. I don't know why they didn't like either disable the, the in-game save option or put up some kind of warning, but yeah, uh, like, it was still in there. At like least they, a warning, yeah. Yeah, uh, they, it looked like they were trying to go for a completely accurate port without any changes at all, which in that case was kind of a bad thing and what you're supposed to do is you actually hit select and then that brings up uh, Genesis uh, the ultimate Genesis collection menu where you have an option to do like a soft reset of the uh, emulated master system and saving and loading your uh, uh, game files and so uh, uh, what that does is it actually saves just like any other PS3 game to your hard drive and so that's the way you're supposed to save but I didn't realize this at first so the first game uh, the first day I'm playing I play for like three hours straight or something and I save that way and turn it off and then come back the next day and everything's gone. That would be heartbreaking. Yeah. And so I thought maybe it was just a random glitch. So I started doing it again for another hour or so and save and then it's gone again. <laughs> and I finally realized what I was supposed to do and uh, put up this big red warning sign on the topic on our after generation. Yeah, I think you put in five hours or more that got erased. Yeah, that was I think. Yeah, I think it was uh, two different times. I think at least three for the first time and then one to two for the next one. Well, thank goodness it was at the beginning, though, because I think for you it's sort of like, well, you know, I, I, it's not as bad going back because I, I know like where I need to go now, and you know, I've kind of gotten yeah. all that out of the way, getting that out of your it system. It went a lot so. faster when I came yeah. back. Yeah, so the five it's hours still, probably it, was more it, like an hour and tedious. a half after that. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit tedious, but uh, it definitely was quicker once I knew what to do. Right. And, um, and then I had a few just kind of stupid save things. Uh, like um, I know you've mentioned, other people mentioned having multiple save files uh, to make it so that it's easier if you make a mistake at some point to go back. And I was kind of bad with that. I always only had one save file throughout the whole game. And early on, I hadn't really gotten into the habit of saving frequently. And so I had times where I did go for like an hour without saving. Mm-hmm. And then I'd end up gaming over and have to go back and redo all that. And so could After, you save anywhere, or did you have to wait to get to save points? I think in both the original and then the collection, you could save anywhere. Yes. In the collection, it was kind of like an emulator save state, basically, mm-hmm. because um, it just went to exactly where you were, no matter where, even if you're in the middle of a battle, I think. Hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the original one, you could also save anywhere. It's just uh, it would have to be on, on the uh, uh, exploring side of it. You couldn't save 
right, so as long as you were on the overworld, you could yeah, you could save anywhere. Yeah, or in a dungeon or yeah. something like that. Yeah, you could basically save anywhere, which is it, it. It was a blessing and a curse because if you if you saved and let's say your mana was low or and you did not have the the spell to retreat the dungeon and fly back to a town, um, you know, if you saved and you did not have any additional save files, you could get yourself in a real pickle. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, not be able to make it back somewhere where you could, you know, re-energize and get more energy. Um, I never experienced that. I had one save file through the entire game, except at the end. And that's when I had two or three going into the final kind of boss fight, going into the final dungeon. Um, but, um, but for the most part, I, I ran, I just kind of chanced it and, you know, had one save file but uh yeah and uh, uh darkly yeah. 007 uh is uh the one uh, who i'm sure you're uh, thinking of when you're saying Absolutely. this that, uh, <laughs> did have this problem um uh, so his post on the forums uh, it says uh, i'm boned i beat the guy in the palace no magic for fly no transfer left and i saved after i got out Boo. Boo. <laughs> boned i'm boned yeah. so through the post it turned out where uh, at that point i recommended it because you're supposed to feed these nuts to meow and he's supposed to be able to fly you back away and he's like meow's dead so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're, you're you're feeding nuts to, to make matters worse <laughs> yeah insult to injury you know yeah. yeah so he had to go back luckily it sounded like he had a second save uh six hours beyond where uh, he uh, screwed up here so you did have to do a lot of stuff over again, but at least it wasn't back to the beginning of the game. So what were the punishments for getting a game over? If there were any at all. Uh, it's just basically back to where you last saved, and that's about it. Um, so would you lose money, or...? I don't remember any money loss. I don't think there's any real... Yeah, I don't think there's any extra punishment. I think it's really just uh, exactly the way it was when you last saved is what you'll be back to, so... The only punishment is really the time lost, and I mean, if you earn money between the last save and where you died, then you lose that, obviously, but um, yeah, generally just, you go back to where you last saved, and uh, it uh, whatever you had at that time is what you have after you game over. So it so, wasn't that uh, unrelenting then? No, no. If, uh, as long as you remember to save op- uh, often, and uh, if you had uh, multiple saves to avoid issues like uh, getting stuck in spots. Right. But, um, uh, otherwise, yeah, there's not any extra punishment. Which is nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I guess we'll just we'll kind of move on and talk about... We, we talked about the weapons a little bit, and I guess one thing... I, I want to go back and touch on a few things, but um, the weapons, it was sorted so that only certain party members could use certain weapons. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's sort of a... Uh, that's sort of a trope that goes back to D and D, right? You know, like magicians can't wear armor, you know, that that sort of thing. And so, um, that that sort of that that kind of popped its head up, and only certain people, magicians, can't use like swords or you know axes or you know things like that. The certain certain weapons. So, you know, there there was there were those sort of limitations to the game as well, which I, I found. Um, I actually like that, you know. I, I like to be sort of somewhat limited, um, and and for characters to have, I, I guess, sort of, um, you know, just 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 be sort of special and unique. You know, each character being unique, and, and not everybody gets to use the same um, items or um, you know weaponry. So yeah, that adds a nice uniqueness, a nice um, 
a little bit of a challenge too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and it goes back to what we were talking about with the, you know, the these tropes of, um, you know, magicians and 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 warriors and tanks and things like that. You know, what what sort of items that they could use? Because I think yeah, I, everyone fitting into a specific role and right. being stuck with it. I, I was going to get the Laconian armor, and I was like, oh well, the Laconian armor is definitely going to go on Alice. You know, because she's going to have full Laconian set. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I went on to do too. And, and I tried to put on. I was like, "Why will this? Why can she not use this?" And I was just frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I kept trying to do it, thinking something was wrong with the game. <laughs> you know, that's one of the. Uh, <laughs> that's actually one of the few things that I ended up looking up a, a not really walkthrough, but just like a guide, uh, right? Because I wanted to make sure that um, I always like to know who can use what armor, not necessarily to um, advance myself in any way, but just to kind of save time. Like uh, I hate it in a game where I buy something thinking that someone can use it, and it turns out where no one uh, I have can use it, or like the only person who can already owns it. Right, right. And it's just I need to save time, really. And uh, that's one of the guilty pleasures I have of saving myself a bit of time there to look up uh, who can use what. Uh, I find that kind of thing is really helpful for that. And that's a that's actually a good segue. Um, how invaluable is the manual on this in this game? I mean. You know, there there are some games it's pretty you can, useful, yeah. yeah, that you can play without the manual. But for this game, the manual is just invaluable. I mean, it gives you there's there's even some hints within the manual, which, you know, um, I, I mean, I yeah, where to go, right, like right. I found myself like I would stop playing the game, and then I would go to bed at night, and I would take my manual downstairs with me <laughs> to lie in the bed for a little while and read over the manual, and I just. I mean that I thought that was really cool. You know, I I've really rarely have that sort of interaction with a manual. Usually I'll just pop mm-hmm. in a game and just start playing it, you know, and I I know I know some some people are probably just gritty their teeth right now when I say that. <laughs> but uh, you know, from a collector's standpoint, I I do like to have the manuals, but in all honesty, usually I'll just pop in a game and start playing it. But for this game, that manual was so invaluable and if if you're thinking about buying this game, please make sure it has a manual in it, or you know at least look mm. up one online. So, so would you yeah. say this manual went um, beyond just sort of setting up the story and you know um, describing every screen you can you can witness? Oh like yeah. You, you, yeah. You said it gives yeah. you it gives you little you know tidbits of uh, of information and, and hints and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With with every with every piece of armor and every item you find in the game, there is a like kind of a hand-drawn picture of everything, mm-hmm. and yeah, it doesn't even leave anything out. Like usually, games will have some of the ones or the early ones, right. and then leave the uh, end ones for secrets. But this just tells you everything. Right, right. I remember that with the Dragon Warrior manual, that big thick manual that came with the game. Um, it had like pictures of everything and it, you just you get captivated by it and it's it's really neat but m- more so in this manual there were there were these little hints you know and they mm-hmm. would be just kind of slight but they would be these little hints of um you know where you might be able to find this piece or when you might be able to find this piece or who um you know like jamie said who would be able to use this that that was mm-hmm. that was always in there and it was it was just it was just a really nice touch, you know, just really made the game for me a lot more interactive. I just enjoyed that. Yeah, and um, I kind of skimmed me through as we were reading this, and it even had at the very end of it maps of each of the worlds. It didn't show the entire map, but mm-hmm. it showed a good chunk of the early areas. And um, like Dezorus, it showed almost the whole world. And 
That was pretty helpful. I mean, uh, they're small and they're not too detailed, but uh, they still give you a general layout, and it's much less confusing than trying to navigate on your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, something else that, that I really liked about this game that I, I think kind of separated it from other RPGs is that when you would speak to the NPCs, 99% of the time, the information was helpful. And, and rarely yeah. do you see that in a game. There's always just some kind of small talk where it's just so irritating to you're like, oh, you know, is this going to be, do I want to spend all my time going around talking to everyone because it, it will be just irritating. I'm not going to get any information. I mean, just games I think about like uh, um, the second Zelda, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am error. yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, that that's a, that's a prime example. And I believe even Dragon Warrior, there are a lot of people you'd speak to that were just, kind of ho-hum had had nothing to offer but it seemed like yeah, in this they game say, i've yeah. been a farmer for a long time right stuff like that yeah so would would uh would the game be more more helpful than than that yeah um, absolutely uh, some of them uh, yeah definitely some of them the people did have less than helpful things uh, sometimes but uh, overall they always said something kind of useful and it wasn't always directly like uh, you need to go here now and uh, then do this. A lot of times it would be like, uh, "Oh, this uh, nut is really yummy. I'd like to feed it to my cats." And <laughs> so very vague tips. Yeah, uh, they give you tips in kind of vague ways. It's not straightforward, but uh, they are all tips, and there's only the occasional ones that are frivolous. Would you get backstory through the uh, NPCs as well? A little bit, yeah, but okay. not not too much. No. Um, uh, yeah, I'd say most of them were tip-based, and just the occasional one that was a bit more of a story-based one, like uh, some of the, you know, the towns. Like, I can remember there's a couple towns, I think, that were a bit destroyed, and there's some uh, that were like, oh, Lassic was here, and uh, I don't know, what are we going to do now, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh, most of them uh, weren't very story-oriented, except for the main characters. Right. But they seem to give you helpful hints about where you needed to go next, Uh you know where where certain things were located, um, and and another thing was speaking to the townspeople um, would actually activate certain things in the game. Yeah, and I learned this the hard way. <laughs> so I, I should probably go into my story. There's hey, a you go in the the lone wolf. You didn't talk to anybody. I'm on a mission. <laughs> Don't disturb me. Well, there's there's a town that you go in and. It, the guy to ask you, have you heard about the hovercraft? And of course, you know, I put no. It gives you the option, yes or no. So, no, no, I have not heard of the hovercraft. And he gives you the story and tells you about it and where it's at. Well, I go looking for the hovercraft where it's supposed to be. It's not there. I, I, I can't find it anywhere. I'm doing all these things and spending all this time and can't figure it out. So I, I actually did have to go online. And I had to kind of figure everything out and determine, you know, what what I did wrong. And what I had done wrong was that I had not, I had basically not said yes to the question. And yeah. when, when I, because I said no, I haven't, you know, I guess I'm supposed to go listen to it again and do it again and say, yes, I've heard of the hovercraft. And so by saying, by listening to no and not listening to yes, I did not activate that hovercraft. So by yes. saying by saying yes to it, counterintuitive, right? Did right, you I, did you encounter that, Jamie? 
Uh, yeah, uh, a little bit. Not specifically the examples he's talking about because he actually warned me about it uh, first, and right. so I didn't have any trouble with it. But um, I'm thinking of uh, later on, I can't remember exactly what the scenario was, but I know there's a person you talk to in a dungeon, and he has this really elaborate sequence of questions, and you're supposed to answer them in a specific way, and the way you're supposed to answer them all doesn't always coincide with what you would normally answer. Yeah. Like a uh, sequence of yes and no questions, and mm, yeah, you have to get this very specific order to be able to get an item, and if you don't, he just is like, uh, what? No, get out of here. Yeah, and it's a very port, and it's a very important item in the game too. It, mm-hmm. It's the item that basically allows you to fight the last battle and reduces the damage you take. So, you know that that was a little odd, but that you know I kind of figured out that, that I just needed to you know get further through this conversation. It made a little more sense, but in in my instance, I left this town, which was kind of tough to get to because you had to go through a dungeon to get to this town. And it was mm. surrounded by water. That's the only way to get to it was to go through the dungeon. So then I had to You'd leave. You wonder there. how the inhabitants got there. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and it must be and, tough people. <laughs> and and I went to the spot where this thing was supposed to be, and I kept searching and searching, and it's not there. And you know that was just really frustrating. So I had to make my way all the way back um, to this, to a different planet, and to um, you know had to crawl through that dungeon again and, and go wander through the desert, you know, like Moses and, you know, make it to this desert again. And, uh, that, that was, that was a little aggravating where, because, you know, for me, it's like, well, why would I need to answer that? You know, yes, I've heard about the hovercraft when you just told me about it. Now that was a little, that was a little aggravating, but you know, hmm. it is, it is what it is. And, you know, there there were a few sort of aggravating puzzles in the game. There was one at the very beginning where you just had to keep asking for this store owner to sell you an item before he would finally sell it to you. It was very early on, and you couldn't you know you couldn't move until you did until you had that item. And so, um, you know, I had to kind of post about it and let everybody know, hey, you know, don't get hung up here, you know, you know, and and you know, put a spoiler tag and say, you know, if you want to know how to get if you're having trouble. You know, just just keep asking to buy. There's a specific item you need to just keep asking to buy that someone won't let you buy. So I, I was trying not to give it away. Yeah. Yeah, you can see it for sale, and uh, he tried to buy it, and he's like, "No, this isn't for sale. What are you talking about?" Yeah. This is frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there are just a few of those sort of, you know, frustrating moments in the game. But, you know, I, I kind of think like looking back at them now and probably the same way like like Jerry who's a big fan of the game looks at them you you kind of look at them as more endearing after you've been through it instead of annoying mm-hmm. you know and so and so you know that's kind of the way I look at it now because you know having beat the game and playing through the game you know it's just something you know I really enjoyed so yeah once you're aware of them and uh, you kind of know what you're doing it's really not that bad Mm-hmm. And most of the problems are only really a problem for a little while. And then once you figure out, it's just not really an issue anymore. And uh, it's not a problem with the game. It's just sort of a difficulty thing, really. Right, right. So do you guys think, you know, all things considered, um, does a game stand up uh, to the test of time? Uh, <laughs> sort of. Sort of, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I Why? mean... Uh, it is classic and it is really good and for me never having played any of the games in the series I still liked it um, but it is uh, very tedious and yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it does have its issues Yeah. Um, and like uh, Rich said earlier it's not for everyone 
but um, it's definitely still a really good game, and Absolutely. it's definitely still worth playing. Absolutely, it's it's a game I've, I'm better for for playing, I'm better for for beating and, and experiencing. I'll I'll mm-hmm. say that as far as does it stand the test of time? Well, I I think you that'd be a question better posed to someone who uh, played it back then, you know, and 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 can tell you can play it again, you know, now and say does it stand the test of time? Uh, yeah, or someone who's played through the whole series. Right, maybe. right, right. Um, I I thought it was I thought it was good and. Knowing what I know about other games like Dragon Warrior, like Final Fantasy, um, I, I think it, it makes me see faults in those games um, mm-hmm. as well. And I think coming away, I have a, a, a huge respect for, um, you know, not only uh, Fantasy Star, but for the Sega Master System. And um, it, it's definitely a collection I've been working on and uh, decided that at some point I'm going for an entire set. And it's it's one that you know these are games that i really want to play i mean the, the counterpart to nintendo which i was a nintendo kid you know and so fantasy star made me realize hey there's some great games on this system you know i, I don't need to you know to kind of downplay like that this was a, a valid and a good system there were people out there that were making great games for this system you know there's great developers out there and so um, I, I guess that, you know, it's sort of not really answering your question, but sort of in a, a more indirect way, you know? No, no, that, that, that's fine. Um, mm. I think what you're, you're saying is that, like, because you can look at this game with hindsight, basically. You can look at um, this game uh, that's, you know, roughly 20 years old uh, through the lens of, you know, the, of, the, of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. will Absolutely. sort of color your your opinion or, or your expectations. Oh, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, almost 20, it's, ooh, man, it's almost 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's that's hard to believe. Ooh, man, that makes yeah. me feel old. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I'm just going through my list of notes here and uh, have a few more uh, gameplay things uh, that I want to point out. Sure. Um, uh, one was the uh, button one and two occasionally. Uh, I don't know if you had a problem with this, Rich, but button one and two sometimes were used interchangeably for yes and no. Yes. Uh-huh. There were times where... Um, now, because I was using uh, uh, the PS3 controller, I don't know exactly which buttons was which right. uh, on the original, uh-huh. but uh, I think it was circle was usually the uh, cancel uh, button. But then there were times where circle was the... Uh, uh, accept button uh, basically mm-hmm. and uh, so it sometimes confused me because I'd be uh, just spamming circle uh, being like alright I'm done with this conversation mm-hmm. and then uh, they'd be like alright thanks for buying this item <laughs> it's like wait <laughs> was that the no button a minute ago <laughs> and uh, so I, I didn't like that very much uh, that was uh, uh, a bit confusing sometimes yeah, I think that was frustrating I think that was probably more of what you were playing and the way your console was set up I, I didn't have any problems with buying something I, I didn't want to buy or yeah, you know, anything like, like that. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like uh, just... Possibly, but I, uh, I was, uh, but it was sort of uh, that, uh, the same button. Uh, right. I mean, maybe the original was a little different, but the same button was used for mm-hmm. yes and no sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. Uh, I, I sort of thought that maybe the original would have been the same way, but 
um, button one, I think it is, uh, would have been, uh, it would seem like it was always yes, right. it never changed, right. but then button two sometimes seemed to change. Yeah, I ran into some problems, the only the only problems, I, I didn't run into any buying problems, but I did run into some issues with the um, the chests sometimes, you know. Yeah, but that it, was another one. But it would be just like, are you sure, you know, you want to do that, you know, but that's, mm. you know, it always kind of gave you that fail safe, to, you know, where, are you sure you want to? You just have to make sure that you don't hit any button too fast because if you did, you might hit yes. Right, right. Which is sort of like, oh my gosh, I do or don't want the chest. Please stop with all the chest questions. Just give me my gold or you know whatever. Just something else. Just something else annoying about the chest. But for me, anyway, it'd be nice to have a default answer. But I guess the game's a bit too old for that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, the other thing was uh, we didn't really talk too much. Well, uh, you sort of had your story about the uh, hovercraft, but uh, what do you think about the vehicles, um, just in general, like the hovercraft, the ice digger, the uh, um, Land Rover? Yeah, I, uh, like I, I really liked them uh, overall. I did too. I thought they, I thought they brought a lot to the game. Um, I think some of them were. I guess my only complaint was that some of them were a little underutilized. Um, yeah. but uh, like the hovercraft, uh, I didn't feel like I went out on the water that much, maybe twice. There was like the, the, the hidden city. And then there was the Island, um, where you got the, um, oh my gosh, what did you get on that Island? A piece of armor. I think. Yeah. A piece of um, armor. One of the Laconian items. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might've been the Laconian, it might've been the mirror shield. I believe it might've maybe. been the mirror shield that you got off of an Island. Um, and um, that was a little underutilized. The the ice digger was my favorite. Um, that was really cool. Just to um, and, and Floyd's that you had played. There's there's an ice planet and there's like this ice digger that you can get. And there's certain parts where you can um, uh, of the ice where you can just drive your digger through it and it breaks up the ice as you move. Breaks up these big ice mountains. So you're kind of digging That's through pretty it. Neat. So so what do you like excavate stuff or is it just a, a means of transportation? It's kind of just a means of transportation, oh, okay. like it's a secret regions, but uh, it looked yeah. really cool because it's like they're mountains and you're almost crushing these mountains. Digging through mountains, yeah, that's right. really yeah. cool. Yeah, it was cool. And the spaceship was really cool too. I mean, you know, flying from planet to planet, like uh, like mm-hmm. Jamie said, I mean, you, you get the same animation each time, but it, at the same time, you know, it just brought just a really neat element to the game. You're like, cool, I own my own starship, you know? Yeah, I can mm-hmm. pick up a lot of chicks in this. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, I it was just it was that was that was neat. But I, I think as far as interactive with the vehicles, the, the Land Rover was cool too because you could go across the land a lot faster. You didn't run into as many enemies if you wanted to avoid enemies. That was uh, that was a great one. But uh, the Ice Digger was by far like the coolest and and, and most well done. But I, I thought. I thought all the vehicles were, were neat, you know. It was just a just a nice touch to the game. It, it gave it that, um, you know, that outer space feel. You know, it took it right. away, took it a little further away from that, um, uh, you know, that Arthurian trope that we were speaking about earlier. So mm-hmm. uh, it really did give it an outer space kind of, you know, more modern technology type of feel. So I, I did like them. Cool. Yeah, and uh, I really liked how uh, uh, much of a difference it made for uh, making... The journeys between each city easier. Uh, like uh, some t- some of the cities were so far apart, going on foot was like you need to fully heal up, and it was almost like going into a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then you get the Land Rover, and you can go so much faster, and uh, it turns it from a near death experience between towns to just being sort of simple uh, fast journey. Right, right. 
So you guys haven't really talked about the music yet, and like RPGs are known for for their soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, uh, was, was it yeah. Uh, was it forgettable? Like, how how come you guys haven't mentioned it yet? I think my main reason I haven't mentioned it yet because there's just so much of the gameplay that uh, I uh, right. liked. Um, but yeah, the music was really good too. Okay. Uh, I was a big fan of the music of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the tunes uh, a bit forgettable, uh, but uh, overall there were some that were really catchy and. Um, some really epic dungeon and battle music and stuff like that. Um, uh, for the, uh, for the time, it was really good. And I think it was was it Jerry that was talking about. Is it there something that happens with the music, like as you're playing it, uh, and then you yeah. run into an enemy? Doesn't it sort of like it kind of tones down? That background music kind of tones down to where you can barely hear it. But then as the battle ends, the music doesn't just start over. But it just kind of the volume just kind of raises back up on it. Um, I think it's sort of. Um, I think that's the idea they were going mm-hmm. for. But I think it actually does cut the music during the battles to the point where it's gone. Unless it's so quiet that I'd have to crank up my volume to hear it, maybe. But yeah, um, it's if it sounded to me like it was gone. But uh, it does uh, continue afterwards. Like uh, it's almost as if it's still playing in the background somehow. Right, right, and that's yeah. just that's something uh, he mentioned. The battle ends, and yeah, uh, and so you're not hearing the same like. 10 second loop yeah. of the song over and over and over again you're actually getting the full song every time right, mm-hmm. right yeah so that's pretty cool how it fades out and fades back in yeah 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 again it's not not something i really noticed i i just wasn't paying attention to it that much and turned it up but for somebody you know like jerry who really loves this game and plays it a lot it's that, that was a that was a really cool experience to have someone like him on the forums who you know, just just is so passionate about it. You know, I mean, you you, you definitely get your fanboy sometimes. You know, <laughs> but um, you know, but, uh, it's a good thing though because uh, I mean, I, I didn't notice that until he pointed it out. But once mm-hmm. he did point it out, it's like, oh, that's really cool. And yeah. I started noticing it throughout the rest of the game. Right, right. It's just it's sort of invaluable to have someone like playing with you that knows so much about a game. It, it really it really added a lot to the experience. I I thought anyway. So. Mm. I thought that was really cool. And uh, one other thing with the music uh, that I was showing Rich beforehand, and uh, uh, Floyd, I'll send you the link to this while I'm talking if you want to listen at all, but uh, there's a um, a chip on the Japanese version of the game. It's called the Yamaha YM2413 chip, and it um, actually added extra sound capabilities mm. uh, to the Japanese one, which the European and North American ones didn't have. I'm not sure if they didn't have the chip at all or if it was there and they just didn't utilize it. I don't really know what the issues were, or maybe because it was a different company, Yamaha, and there maybe was some licensing issues. But um, yeah, there's a massive difference in the quality of sound uh, between the two versions. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it, it's 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 massive. It's so great. Uh, just yeah, I'm gonna include a link to the comparison video in the description um, for all the different uploads of the uh, episode one here. Well, I know a lot of the, the Japanese iterations of, of early games tended to have better music. Yeah, it wasn't even that there was different music, too. It was like the same music, but it was just... Uh, better sounding. Quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, a deeper bass and more range of notes. and um, More synthesizer. Some things that are in the original... Yeah, and some things that in uh, the uh, North American one uh, were like ear-piercing screeches. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the uh, Japanese one, they were softer and more musical sounding. Yeah. Yeah, wait till you uh, wait till you listen to the dungeons, like the difference in the sounds of the dungeons. It's, it, I mean, the the okay. opening the opening um, credits are one thing. Like when you turn the game on, you notice the difference. But man, the dungeons, wow! It's oh, 
Yeah, it's, okay. it's awesome. Makes you want to go out and buy right. a Japanese system. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah. read any of this, but it sounds so awesome. <laughs> you could be almost playing the Japanese and the North American at the same time, side by side, just so you know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, for uh, I think that's about it for me for music. Uh, uh, did you want to talk about the sound at all, like the effects and stuff like that? Because um, there's quite a bit to say about that, I think. Sure. Uh, for battle sounds. Um, uh, so uh, the game, most of the time, there's just kind of a generic sound for enemies, and not really much difference in mm. RPGs. Uh, like every enemy will have more or less the same sounding effect, uh, at least from what I've seen. And uh, this one, uh, the enemies had kind of that, but uh, every enemy had a range of sounds. And um, they were very, it's hard to describe them, but they were very sharp and loud. (laughs) (laughs) Very synthesized sounding, like Mm -hmm. uh, high-pitched squealing and screeching and all these crazy sounds. But once you got used to it, it was kind of like a characteristic of the, the game. It's just sort of puts you back into that generation of the crazy sound effects that uh, were happening around the 8-bit era. Yeah. And I thought they were kind of awesome, though really ear-shattering at some points. Right, right. I mean, I I definitely think that, you know, I I don't think the sounds were an afterthought. I think it was more of a, you know, that's just kind of the sounds they used, you know, during that generation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, very retro-sounding. And and probably the reason, you know, it, it really didn't, it didn't, raise any kind of flag for me you know i just that's just what i'm used to you know and yeah and so um i i didn't find anything especially bad about it i didn't find anything extraordinary about it just just sort of average i think that you know they, they probably put more effort into other portions of the game you know which, which are mm-hmm. which are clear and, and things that you can see but it's still you know it, it's still it's still good you know yeah Though I do uh, have to bring up the comparison between uh, fighting some of the enemies and uh, listening to a dial-up modem trying to connect to the internet. <laughs> it's a pretty apt comparison, I think, if anyone's uh, old enough to remember what either of those sound like. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, I guess one of, the, one of the last things I have, and this is something that, that I typically like to ask people, um, and, and you'll probably hear this question quite a lot um, as you're listening to these casts. But, uh, you know, I just want to kind of get kind of favorite battles, favorite areas. Uh, sure. Um, the favorite battle for me, I think, was Lassic, uh, just because mm-hmm. it had been building up to that for so long. Okay. It's not quite the final boss, but he's uh, sort of the uh, second to last major fight. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, he just has some really cool attacks and uh, a nice background and everything. And it was just a fun fight. Uh, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. Um, I was high enough level, I was at level 27 by the end of the game, where I didn't have too much of an issue for difficulty. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I managed to beat him on my first try. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I thought it was a really good battle. Uh, second, uh, Close second uh, for a favorite battle, because... Uh, this one was pretty good too. Was the uh, nightmare after first visiting the governor, uh, and uh, I think it's called the succubus. Uh huh. And um, did you win that? I didn't. No, no. but uh, just uh, the surprise of like you go into a place where you're used to just going to rest, like the uh, the place in the first uh, town, mm-hmm. and you're expecting to just rest and heal and then move on. But you go in there and you go to sleep, and then suddenly this battle starts. And you're like, oh, uh, well, I can't handle this battle. I'm not strong enough. Am I supposed to be here? And uh, suddenly you die. And then you're like, oh, crap, I hadn't saved yet. <laughs> and uh, but That's kind of uh, neat because that ties into the mythology of Succubi. So that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so then, uh, but then you just wake up and uh, everything is kind of back to the way it was, and then you're like, that was kind of foreboding. Yeah. I wonder, uh, like, what's going to happen now? Well, let me let me start off by saying this, Floyd. You'll be disappointed. This one's not sexy at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, not really. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, was it because of uh, graphical limitations, or <laughs> uh, is uh, this one just really? I'd say it's a I don't know intentional choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah I don't know. Somebody maybe somebody this, apparently maybe this did is not a true get the form suckers. <laughs> somebody at mm-hmm. Sega did not get the memo. You know, yeah, <laughs> <really>. <laughs> it's like come on, you know. But but really, I, it's it's one of those. I guess it's kind of referred to as an impossible enemy, and, and these pop up from mm-hmm. time to time in games, right? Um, we, we saw it with, uh, Super Mario RPG, though, um, you know, that one wasn't as impossible, I don't think, as the, you know, the succubus. Yeah, it seems like those battles are more, like, symbolic than anything, I guess. Yeah. Right, right, and, and, you know, this, I mean, I don't know for a fact, I don't know if this is where that started, but maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe. So, um, for me, um... My favorite—I have to—I have to agree with Jamie. Um, my my favorite battle probably were was the um, Lassic battle. Um, I just you know, especially for me, the last two battles, just kind of squeaking through those battles and and beating the game. Um, it, it just it felt so it, to me just exhilarating and probably why they were my favorite because to me they were the hardest battles. I I didn't really feel. I guess I didn't really feel challenged by any of the other sort of enemy battles. Um, it's not that they, you know, weren't challenging, but I felt like it was just one of these, just kind of, you know, beat magic, heal, repeat kind of things, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I never felt that anything was super challenging or I had to use certain spells for certain enemies. Um, you know, uh, all the fights just seemed, and, and even like the boss fights when you would detain items, um, they all just felt very similar to me. So um, I would say that like that final battle um, was, those final battles were my favorite battles. Although I did take a certain pleasure out of finally killing Medusa because you find out about Medusa like within the first hour of the game. And, like, you're looking for her the entire time. So it's nice to finally, um, I, I guess, kind of put that to rest. You know, avenge Odin and, um, you know, finish that bo- battle. That that had kind of, uh, uh, that, that was nice. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a good closure. Right, yeah, closure. That's the word I was looking for. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually a bit of a side tangent thing, but um, uh, we didn't touch on this. Uh, when I was doing the game uh, for Medusa's Tower, I did that before going to Dezoros, the ice planet. Uh, um, but I think you had mentioned that you actually went and finished Dezoros first, didn't you? Uh, yes. I, or did I, I did Manusa's uh, Tower and finished everything. I, I finished everything that I could do except for the towers to go toward Lassic before oh. before going to the ice planet. Oh, before the ice planet. Okay, mm-hmm. so you did the same order as me then. Okay. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, I think someone mentioned that uh, they went to the ice planet first. I think it might have been. Sort of I think it might have been uh, Lee, 007. Yeah. I think he might have uh, gone I was wondering first. how. Uh, I wonder how that went for him, uh, being uh, 
Like, it just shows the non-linearity of the game where you don't need to go to certain dungeons in a certain order for a few of them anyways. Right, right. I really wonder how that went for him. Yeah. I think for me, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before, like, you know, staying in certain areas and grinding and making sure that I have the best weapons before I move on and that sort of thing. I think it kind of worked out the same for me with the planets. You know, I want to do everything I need to do here before moving on. You know, someone mentioned this. Let me go do this. Somebody mentioned that. Let me go do that. Um, Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking, too. I finished off all of Motavia and uh, Palma before going to Antisaurus. Right, right. And and you do have to kind of flip back and forth to go for, you know, certain things at one time, you mm-hmm. know, um, because... But I think once you got the Dissaurus, if you did everything else first, you didn't actually need to go back, though. I think Matavia and Palma, you go between a lot. But right. once you got the Dissaurus, I think it was pretty self-contained. Right, right. Do you find it odd that the ice planet was named Dissaurus? Like desert? <laughs> yeah, that is a little weird. <laughs> I didn't actually think about it like that before. Palma, I kind of understood, like, palm trees, lush, you know, yeah. and then, you know, I was like, okay, it's kind of weird, but, you know, mm. whatever. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it's kind of, that was one of the, I, I guess that was one of the things that, with the with the space shuttle that, or the spaceship, that that I was, that I felt was a little odd, I was like, do you want to go to, the, like, um, it would say, do you want to go to a certain town? It wouldn't just say, like, do you want to go to a certain planet? I, I almost wished it would just say the planet's name, because... You know, trying to figure out and remember in my head which town was which uh, mm-hmm. was a little aggravating. I found myself flying to the wrong planet a few times. So, yeah, that was definitely a struggle. That's um, when I was doing. It, I was. Uh, I don't normally do this, but uh, for this game, I was really uh, strongly taking a lot of notes. Right. And uh, like any time someone told me something in a town, uh, unless it felt really frivolous, I would uh, write it uh, completely word for word what they said down. Yeah. Um, so that helped a lot because I was also uh, sorting things by what town they were in and stuff like that. And uh, I'd say this town is on this planet. And yeah. So I could just go back to my notes if someone mentioned somewhere and that helped a lot. I think that makes a big difference if you're playing the game and to take notes and yeah, well, draw the maps and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's a good point. I mean, uh, these early games, you, you had to take notes. You would get these little clues mm-hmm. and but it wouldn't hold your hand it wouldn't it wouldn't push you toward a certain way you know it was very a lot of these games are very non-linear and so you know you you had to take notes and you had to have an idea about where you're going or you would get stuck and you're like oh well where do i go next I, i just and if you didn't have these notes or you know had written down something that someone had said which which i was doing as well um you know even though i was using the dungeon maps i like i said i did not use a walkthrough and, you know, I was having to walk right down these things um, as mm-hmm. well. And so, uh, you know, that, that gave it that old school feel and, and you know, reminded me, like, when I was a kid, like, playing Dragon Warrior and, you know, writing down all these things and, and then figuring, you know, out where I needed to be next. You know, uh, the pre-internet, you know, you, you didn't have a choice. You had to, you know. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, I know we're getting a bit off topic here, but I just noticed one more gameplay uh, point that I had uh, skipped over before. Um, the map drawing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, we sort of talked about it a little bit, uh, but um, uh, for this, uh, I really got into the graph paper uh, mapping, and um, I started doing it on paper, and uh, that was okay, uh, but uh, I kept running out of room, like I uh, misjudged how big the dungeon was, and I'd hit the edge of the paper, and other times it was just like I'd make a mistake and I'd have to erase the whole thing. Uh, it just wasn't working that well, and then uh, uh, I gotta thank uh, Duke Togo because he suggested a digital one, um, which I might include a link to that in the description. Actually, it's a graph paper website where it's just dedicated straight to making graph uh, 
uh, graphs on graph paper, but digitally, uh, like you use your mouse and you click on each line and draw the lines and you can change the colors and all that. And uh, that was really, really helpful. Like I did every floor on that graph paper and um, saved them and then I could cycle through all the floors in the order I need to uh, go. And um, I noticed someone else had used one a mobile app called uh, Mosaic Builder, mm -hmm. which I don't have a mobile phone, so I don't have experience with that. But uh, uh, he, he posted a screenshot. It looked pretty good. It looked similar to the one I was using. Again, I think that might have been Dougley. That, that was doing that. Yeah, I think so. I believe that's who it was. But yeah, if, if you have it, if um, I think, Jamie, didn't you post a link to your maps? I did, yeah. I don't know if anyone actually utilized them. I don't think anyone commented on it, yeah. but uh, it was, um, they were all in my Dropbox and just uh, shared them thinking that if anyone got stuck, they uh, had an option to look at those. Right. But um, one problem I did have with mapping, though, uh, which maybe is something to do with why you uh, mentioned getting lost sometimes, is that uh, some of the dungeons, I'd map them out, and I'd say maybe like 75 to 80% of them at least were uh, perfectly mapped out in the sense that there was no overlapping that didn't make sense. Like uh, mm -hmm. the spacing between uh, the corridors always worked. Right. And there was no like uh, dimensional warping of the corridors to have them overlap each other right. in ways that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but there were the odd dungeon where it's like it would loop back on itself yeah. and cross over and it's like, wait, there should be an intersection here but it's just a straight hallway. Right. And, yeah, so that was a little frustrating at times because certain dungeons I just kind of had to scrap the map and uh, either that or I'd have to uh, shrink certain hallways on uh, the uh, drawing of it and yeah. just kind of make it work. But. Yeah, and one thing, one thing about the, um, one thing about the, uh, using the walkthroughs that I didn't have to deal with was traps. Uh, I, I mm, can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, too. And Floyd, I, I don't think Floyd knows about the traps, so... Probably a good no, point me. to t talk about traps and what those did in the game. Uh, yeah, so there's <laughs> the traps uh, that the treasure chests have, which we've already talked about, and there's the uh, overworld treasure chests, which are basically the same thing. Um, but then there's also uh, trap doors and the floors, uh, which you have no warning of at all. You can't see them. It looks like any other floor. But you walk over top of them, and suddenly you're uh, dropped to the floor below you. And it's completely disorienting because you hadn't been to this floor yet, possibly, if you're going down towards basements. And uh, uh, it's really confusing. Uh, and you, uh, if you're trying to map out the floors, you have to kind of scrap your map at that point and just either exit the dungeon or try and start a new map uh, of this lower floor. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be really, you know, just like mind-bending. Yeah. You'd have to really change the way you're, you're thinking. Yeah, so... Once uh, you did know that the trap was there, though, if you got back to it, uh, Meow actually had a spell called Trap, and you could use it. You'd have to be on the square before the trap itself, and then uh, you just use that, and it'll uh, disarm the trap, and then you can proceed past it. But um, if you either A, didn't know that, or uh, B, uh, got completely lost and couldn't find the trap again, it's definitely a major uh, pitfall, literally, in the game. <laughs> Did you get lost often? Because I mean, it's you know, it's, it's a dungeon crawler, so pretty much every hallway looks the same. Yeah, um, uh, for the more simple ones where it didn't have much of the traps early on, not too badly. Because um, as long as I was mapping it out, I could see where I came from and where I was going, and it wasn't too bad. But uh, yeah, the ones with the pitfalls, uh, I pretty much got lost every time I fell down a pitfall, and I'd have to use like the flute or the exit spell to uh, jump out of the dungeon, and then walk all the way back to where I was inside of it uh, to uh, disarm the trap because I was just not 
uh, able to wrap my head around starting a new map on a floor that I hadn't mm-hmm. uh, started where I meant to start. Yeah, yeah, and you could be right in the middle of that floor, you know, mm-hmm. not, not at a logical beginning point. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, and you had to, and the the other bad thing is you had to use magic to disarm traps. That too, which, yeah. Uh, it didn't use too much, so I think it was only two magic points, yeah. but it was, it was added up if there was a lot of them. Yeah, there, there were some boards that had a lot of traps, um, and if you chose going the wrong way, you, you certainly would... Um, hit those quite a bit so all right so um jamie was there anything else that you wanted to talk about this game any final thoughts impressions or anything that you would... um i got a uh two more favorites okay uh, just um a favorite boss um visually was the uh, gold dragon oh yeah uh, uh he was pretty awesome uh, like i covered the entire screen whereas most of the enemies are just kind of in the middle mm-hmm. more or less mm-hmm. Um, that was a pretty awesome uh, battle, but not really my favorite battle, just favorite style of enemy. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, regular dragons as well; those were uh, pretty cool looking. And, yeah, yeah, the whole uh, impressive. Yeah, d- speaking about the golden dragon, the whole like that whole cut sequence, like uh, feeding meow the the nuts, and uh, you know that cat turning into like a, a flying like dragon beast uh yeah was uh that, that was cool i mean it's just like kind of a cut scene you know like right in the middle of the almost game a, and almost like a pegasus cat <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> pegasus cat yeah it was beautiful i mean it was it was just really really well done a really nice touch on your way to a, a battle against lassic so but mm-hmm. again you know kudos to the game designers um I, I think they did a great job and you know especially to me I guess I guess my my kind of final thing that I want to say is just with all the limitations, you know that were that they had back then. I I think that the final product uh, ended up being a very beautiful and you know just fantastic game. Um, and it, for me, it was just something I was just so happy to you know be able to play. I know that. Jamie and I were, were were talking. A lot of people, oh, play Fantasy Star. It was in, it was one of the suggested games, right? And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. we want to play Fantasy Star. We want to play Fantasy Star. I'm like, well, Jamie, I guess we're gonna have to play Fantasy Star. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, and I was so unsure <laughs> with it at first because I never had any interest in most Master System games, and I, especially I had no interest in Fantasy Star. Not right. anything against it, but right. just it wasn't on my radar at all. Right, and, and for me, it was kind of on my radar. It's one of those like, you know, I'm collecting Master System games. I own it. I've heard so much about it. I love Dragon Warrior. You know, it's so nostalgic for me. And to be able to play a game, you know, on that, um, the competitive system, to see what was on the, you know, the, the, the breach breach enemy lines, if you will, you know, and, and see what was on the yeah. other side. To me, that was that was special. And, and and I was like, well, Jamie, if you don't want to play it this month, I'll play it. And I was, I was like, well, just wait till my month comes around, we'll play it. And you're like... And, and, you know, you're kind of thinking about, like, games you want to play, and you're like, nah, I'm going to play it. So I guess my final thing to you, and we're going to wrap it up, are you glad you played it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I mentioned somewhere that I've got uh, with one of the Dreamcast ones, uh, Fantasy Star Online, uh-huh. and uh, the Genesis Collection has more, and so I'm definitely interested in someday going through more games in the series. Right. All right. Yeah, so that's pretty cool that, uh, you know, a lot of peer pressure from uh, guys on <laughs> RF Gen and uh, you know like it, it, it was a positive experience and it's pretty cool that it was able to open your eyes to uh, you yeah. know a whole new library of games and everything yeah abs- mm. absolutely and got me to beat my uh, first game off of that Genesis collection which I wasn't totally expecting to get much use out of the collection but I uh, finally did 
So okay. if you've if you've listened to this podcast, you and your participant in our playthroughs, we really appreciate your time and your effort. If you've learned anything, it's to keep nagging us about games you want to play, and uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll get around to the long list of games that we currently have. But we're always open to your suggestions. Please post on the forums. Um, if you have any thoughts on Fantasy Star, anything we just talked about, please post on the Fantasy Star forums. And then we will also have up a, um, a forum for this um, for this podcast. Um, so you'll be able to post your thoughts there as well. We're really looking forward to hearing those, especially on Fantasy Star. And we will move on to our next game and look forward to hearing your thoughts on The Last of Us. Yeah, give me some more reasons on why I should play this. <laughs> and uh, I also want to say, uh, don't feel obliged to stop posting at the end of the month because uh, The Last of Us has gone on now for almost two months and we're still getting topics and uh, more discussion going. Yeah, yeah, discussion. And it's awesome. The discussion is always nice. It's always fun to hear what you guys think. Thank you. So last month, um, during the modern playthrough, we played The Last of Us, and, well, the group played The Last of Us. I I wasn't able to play it, of course, because I don't have any of the modern systems, but um, Floyd was actually the uh, director of last month, so I'll get him to give us a little bit of a synopsis about what the game was. Alright, so The Last of Us is a PS3 exclusive, uh, released in summer of 2013 by Naughty Dog, of Jack and Daxter, Crash Bandicoot, and the Uncharted series. Um, Really, at the core, The Last of Us is a survival horror stealth third-person shooter hybrid that's set in a post-apocalyptic America that's been ravaged by a viral fungus, essentially turning people into zombies. And your objective is to safely transport a young girl from... Uh, from Boston to the West Coast in hopes to hopefully figure out some way that you can develop a cure. All right. So just kind of open it up to the group right now. What are some what are some things that you guys really liked about the game? I think a good starting point would be the uh, intro sequence. Uh, uh, that was really the point that hooked me on the game. Uh, like when I first heard of the game, I wasn't too interested in it. And then it launched, and I watched the recording on YouTube of uh, the introduction. And it was literally at that point where I uh, decided to buy it, and I went straight down to UB Games and bought a copy and came back and played through the whole game in four days. So <laughs> that was uh, uh, definitely a selling point for me. Um, I thought it was really good, cold open into the action, and uh, it really hooked you in with the emotional impact and uh, the level of involvement with the characters you're about to get. Right, yeah. and, and and I didn't play the game, but I did watch the same trailer, that, the one that you're talking about. I think Floyd sent me a link mm-hmm. to that trailer. And it's a very, I guess for the times, a very kind of popular theme. You know, I know this isn't technically zombies. This is kind of a, a fungal infection type uh, process. Yeah, but it, it seems to be, you know, something that's really very popular right now in the mainstream with, you know, shows like Walking Dead, um, you know, and, and several. World War Yes, Z. yes. Um, so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, kind of open that up. Was that, is that something that drew you guys to the game specifically, or were there other things about the game that, that you, that made you want to play it, I guess? I think the fact that it was a zombie game wasn't too 
exciting or innovative, but I know I'm Naughty Dog from Uncharted, and I love those games. So okay. you know, I I was interested when I heard who the developer was, and then <clears throat> seeing trailers, seeing uh, developer diaries, and sort of getting to learn what the game is about and how they sort of came about the idea, uh, increasingly got me more and more hooked. Right. Right. And and I was told, you know, also with this game, it's 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 very it has a very high emotional appeal. Um, you, you get really drawn into the characters, the events as they are. I, again, I didn't play it, so I don't know, you know, basically the events or the the high events of the game. But from what I sense, it, it's supposedly a really like kind of heart heartstring tugging type of game. Oh, definitely. Um, oh, yeah, there's definitely yeah, it's, a lot of tear-jerking moments. <laughs> it's really well-written, um, and so, like, the emotional moments are really emotional. Uh-huh. And I think this is actually a perfect segue into our first topic for this discussion, um, and probably the most obvious one, is that The Last of Us is a game that wants to be a movie. Huh. Okay. And, and how so? Yeah, what? it definitely fits into that. It's It's one of those ones where it's heavily story-based. Uh, like, as you're playing through the game, uh, there'll be random dialogue sequences that come up. Um, some of them are kind of uh, passive, uh, where they just happen as you're walking through, and then other ones you have to press a button, and it's almost like a little collectible. It's uh, a dialogue collectible that you can enable, and it gives you a bit of uh, insight into what the characters are thinking about what's going on. And uh, they obviously have uh, copious amounts of cutscenes, uh, which is common in big blockbuster games like these right. nowadays. Well, I'd say the whole experience was kind of passive. Because you're sort of completing the objective of one area, which earns you a cutscene, and that gives you more story exposition. Uh Then you're you're thrown uh, off to a new area, another objective, you know, traverse this section, get a cutscene. And so unless you're in combat or in stealth, you're just watching characters interact with each other, and you're you're getting all your story through um, dialogue and the occasional um, contextual setting-inspired conversation between Joel and Ellie. And even the environment too is a bit of a, a story element in itself. Like you can see uh, where familiar landmarks and uh, environments have decayed. Yeah, it, it's it's set in like a sort of a fictionalized. Um, you know, Boston or Utah. So, def- like, if you know these cities, then you, you'll you'll sort of pick up on what this landmark is supposed to be. Okay. And <clears throat> yeah, it's everyone will will uh, say to, to varying degrees that the setting itself is a character. Oh, so it, it very mm-hmm. much has a a sense of, of of realism, like with with Parasite Eve, you know, which was. Um, basically restricted to Manhattan. I mean, there were so many familiar uh, landmarks and places, you know, in that in that map. And so you're saying this game is sort of it takes on that same kind of um, direction, it's the same, same kind of idea. Okay. That, you know, you, you know, you're in in Boston because of you know that like red stone, red brick uh, type architecture. Uh-huh. But it's not quite Boston. It looks like it, but it really isn't. Okay. Okay. Mm. So that gives it probably gives it a little eerier feeling in that sense as well, right? Not not the same, or you know, not not real Boston, but you know, something post-apocalyptic sort of Boston. Right. Okay. 
That's yeah. what you're saying. Well. I'd, I'd seen uh, some people in, um, I think it was like comments on YouTube videos of this, saying that they live in these cities and uh, they walk down these streets every day that Joel and Ellie are walking down in the game and t uh, to them it looks like the same streets. Like they recognize stores and oh, wow. signposts and other things. Like it's down to that kind of detail that uh, they uh, recreated these oh, cities. Oh wow, that, that's really impressive. That's, that's really awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you guys are saying it's, you know, it's, it's a movie. Um, basically and it's that's built into a game which is you know it's it's kind of funny because that's sort of the direction i think gaming has sort of taken you know in the last uh several years you know i, I was it's funny i've been playing these atari games and I, I look at these atari cartridges and the the artwork on those boxes is just so amazing and that's what was drawing you into the game because the games are so simple but now that's sort of taken mm -hmm. on basically a, a reversal right i mean like what's on the cover always isn't going to be as nice as what's what you're looking at in the game so it, it's sort of those roles have sort of um you know reversed in a way i feel that's like. actually a really good point because it's sort of like the older cover work uh, cover art would represent something that you'll be doing in the game uh -huh. or um sort of it would be a visualized uh, picture of um, almost like a gameplay mechanic. I'm sort of thinking about yeah. Pitfall, and you have the guy swinging on the rope. Right. Um, right. Whereas in modern gaming's um, art, it'll just be the main protagonist or the main group, and right. that I think mm -hmm. there's a shift in focus from. Uh, I kind of don't want to say it, but there's a shift in focus from gameplay to characterization and plot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the older ones had a focus on the actions in the game, whereas the newer ones, yeah, on the characters and the story. Right. Sometimes the environment, depending on the game, but yeah, usually the characters. Yeah, and, and mm -hmm. they have so much more leadway now. They can do so much more with games. You know, so it's obvious that they would, you know, really go in that direction, which is, you know, from what I've seen... You know, in, in those type of games, it's it's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I was talking before about how emotional, you know, the game was and, uh, you know, how people get immersed into the game. Can you can you guys tell me? I mean, I, I didn't get to play it. I'm, I'm fine with, with the spoilers, and everyone who's listening to this should be fine with the spoilers. But if you would, mm -hmm. just, just tell me, like, some, some key moments, some things that, that for, for each of you that really kind of... Um, set the tone for the game and, and you know, these emotional moments that, that kept you going and kind of drew you in? I'd, I'd say the tone is set right from the bat. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. You, um, you see a cutscene that introduces uh, Joel and his uh, young daughter. And uh, Joel's daughter wakes up in the middle of the night to an empty house, you know, and there, it's all eerily silent. She's wandering around the house and stumbles into her dad's room, into Joel's room, and the TV's on, and it's, and it's the news. And a reporter is saying that something tragic has happened in the downtown core. And then right at that moment, there's a contextual cue to, to press a button that essentially triggers an explosion way off in the distance that you see through the house window. So you know already that there's violence. And... Meanwhile, Joel's daughter is getting more and more creeped out and tense that she can't find her dad. You know, there's 
as assumingly there's riots going on downtown and she's continuing to explore the house and finds Joel's cell phone and there's missed calls and missed texts and when Joel finally enters a picture he shoots an infected person they've you know lost all humanity they are just bloodthirsty monsters and he he shoots this this monster and who happens to also be her uh, neighbor that she just talked to and that's right yeah so that that already gives you the second point is that nobody's safe um Mm. so we have violence everybody's at risk and further on you know you try to escape the the town and you run into the military i kind of I'd hate to give away this big moment because it's 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 a fantastic <laughs> moment and I'd love for people to experience it themselves. So I'll try to keep the spoilers to a minimum. But you run into the military, who, um, who shoots uh, Joel's daughter. So, you know, there's violence. Everyone's at risk. You can't trust anybody. And that sets the tone right off mm. the bat. Oh wow, wow! I really like how. Um, uh... Actually, I got a couple of points with the intro. Uh, one is that uh, I like when you're walking through the house, and as she gets more nervous, you can see her doing things uh, like little things, uh, like um, kind of grabbing her other arm, uh, and sort of her body language shows that she's nervous. It's not just like the things she's saying. Mm-hmm, yeah, the, fan- the, uh, the even the way she's walking fantastic. through the house and stuff like that. Um, uh, and then the other thing was um, with the uh, military that you come across, you can tell that the guy who's getting the order to shoot these two. Uh, people and uh, he's feeling really bad about it well he doesn't want to conflicted. but at the same time yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't want to, to disobey uh-huh. orders hmm. yeah because he even says you can hear him saying to the uh, um transmission uh, he's like uh, sir there's a little girl here are you sure you want to do this kind of thing and, and then he just has to go with orders and, and that's the confusion of what's going right. on so is the battle basically against the infected or are there other foes that you encounter in the game there are definitely others okay. um i made a list of the ones that i think of off the top of my head and i came up with five main groups okay. um some of them we'll kind of touch on a little bit later i think but yeah it's definitely the infected is the main enemy of everyone okay. and then um but throughout the game i find that they're actually the most predictable and the easiest to deal with because when you get into fighting the real humans those are the ones that they do things you don't expect and uh, they can kind of be a little bit more terrifying, even in some ways. So the feeling of that, you're actually, you're, you're shooting things that are quote infected, but people that obviously were humans at one point, and then you're actually shooting humans. Is right. Mm-hmm. What's the? I mean that that's that's so bizarre. But does that? I mean, how does that? How does that feeling? I mean, you it, it, with both? Are you are you are you kind of feeling like with both? You're actually shooting humans or is there something like with the infected is there something beyond humanity that that makes it okay to do that and I, i'm guessing that's what the game is making you question here well midway through mm-hmm. the game um a supporting character debates this philosophical idea that perhaps inside these infected monsters there's still a person mm-hmm. and it um because this, this group that you run into, they, they find it difficult to kill um, anyone. Right. And even though they have to do it in order to survive. <clears throat> but I think that parallels... The, 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 the physical violence parallels the almost 
internal struggle that Joel and Ellie go through and that the player goes through. It's even though it's a game and killing takes center stage, it's often very brutal and it's it's tough to to witness. Um, you know, it's you know it, it's it's not like um, you know a, a, a an arena shooter where you're you're racking up points for for you know shooting as many guys as you can. Right. This makes it uncomfortable to um, take out your foes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, and I know we'll, we're going to touch on themes throughout this conversation and events of and different things. And so one thing I just I want to sort of get to the gameplay a little bit and talk about maybe the controls and the mechanics for this game. I, I know that um, primarily. Um, it, it's sort of a, a stealth game, and, and I think, Floyd, you and I spoke a little bit, and I said, so, you know, I was, was kind of questioning, because, of course, I haven't played it, and I was like, is it is it little like, like Metal Gear Solid, to me, is the ultimate sort of stealth game. That That's what I would refer to, and what I'm most familiar with. Is that is that kind of hold true for this game? Is there more to it than stealth? Um, so I just wanted you guys to kind of talk about that a little bit, and also about, you know, the controls. Well, in terms of the... I think, uh... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think uh, uh, for me, uh, it's one of those games you have your choice. Uh, it can be a stealth game if you want it to, but it can also just be a run and gun game. Okay. Um, I feel fairly early on you get powerful enough where it can be run and gun if you choose, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're good enough. Uh, but uh, it's there are certain areas where it definitely requires stealth uh, because there are just too many targets and you don't have enough bullets to take them all out. It, I would say that the, the limited resources mm-hmm. definitely... Um, make you assess the situation and determine your style of play based on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'd say it's really different from something like Metal Gear. Because okay. in that, it's... I mean, even in, in the game's tagline, it's tactical espionage. Mm-hmm. In in The Last of Us, it's more about... Um, trying to find out where your enemies are in relation to you so that you can sneak up on them. Um, But you can't see the whole layout of the uh, area at at once. You might see a room or you might be able to see through a door into another room. But that's why there is the optional feature of... uh, It's called listen mode and it's it's basically like, like an echolocation. So that you can uh, hold R2 and that enters listen mode and you can see the silhouettes of your enemies and roughly where they are. And that kind of helps you determine your next move, helps you decide, okay, am I going to you know, take this guy out or do I sneak past him? Do I stealth kill this guy? Do I go in guns blazing here? Everything is really based on the situation you're in and the play style you're most comfortable with. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Uh, on the listen mode, if you uh, play without the listen mode, uh, that makes a pretty big difference in uh, how your gameplay uh, experience is going to be. Because I find that without that, it really does turn into a more stealth-based well, game. Well, definitely, and because <clears throat> makes it more realistic. You don't too. know where everyone is. Yeah. Because in, yeah, in, in real life, if you're up. trying to, you know, escape your captors, you won't be able to see through walls and. You know, it, it mm-hmm. makes every move count. It, it adds more weight to your decisions, and it it uh, amps up the circumstances for for what you do. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, yeah, uh, the harder difficulties also one thing with those, uh, like if you're playing on survival instead of normal, um, uh, it actually lowers the number of um, drops for either uh, the uh, crafting items or uh, the ammo. Okay. And so it even makes the survival uh, uh, instincts and the uh, stealth play uh, amped up more because of that as well. Now, does it make uh -huh. you? Does it make you? I mean. Again, I don't know much about the game, but does it? Is it? Are there like melee weapons as well as like you know, you know, guns and and things like that that use ammo? I mean, are you able to conserve ammo, conserve supplies, and things like that in this game as well? Well, yeah, uh, uh, the melee weapons uh, you can get uh, like they're pretty brutal melee weapons. You get two by fours, baseball bats, uh, metal pipes, okay. and. Not just that, but you can also, with the crafting system, add things like scissors to them, uh, which you can use to get an extra uh, couple hits into your melee weapon um, to make them more deadly, instead of something that you have to brutally be beating down on someone, it's just more of a one-hit kill kind right. of thing. Okay. See, most of the melee weapons are really designed to sort of stun your enemy so you can, you know, get an easy kill shot on them. Or so that you can... Mm -hmm while they're stunned, run up to them and either, you know, attack them with a shiv or, you know, or totally run past them. And I, this is another thing about the uh, different difficulties. On easy and normal, I don't know about hard, but easy and normal, if you exit an area, the enemies in that room won't follow you into the next room. But on survivor oh, mode, really? um, even if you... Even if you don't kill any people in a room, they will follow you into the next room and the next room. So you do have to at least play more violently. Mm -hmm. So I know, is that something you encountered, uh, Jamie? I didn't actively notice that, but uh, that's quite possible, yeah, because I did notice uh, that uh, they seemed to be kind of a bit more active in trying to find me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't uh, really... Uh, because I didn't realize that, it didn't stand out to me as something uh, different. Because I had played my first playthrough on normal and then my second playthrough on Survivor, but um, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't stand out to me as something different. But it's quite possible that it was, and I just didn't notice. Um, one thing I was going to say for anyone who hasn't played the game is that with the melee weapons, they actually have limited use, and it's very limited. Like the, the two by fours, you only get four hits, and then they break. Oh, okay. And so, like Floyd said, you really want to use them as a bit of a stun weapon, like. You get a couple of hits on someone, and then you finish them off with a, a bullet or two. Okay. Yeah, sort of like uh, I guess fragile dreams that we played last year. Uh, you know, you only Kinda, get so yeah. many uses with that weapon, <laughs> which, mm -hmm. which to me was a little annoying. But you know, at the same time, was you know you're, you're easily able to you'd replace it. But it sounds like in this game, it's uh, items are a lot more scarce. You know. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah. Some of the things are a little bit unrealistic with the breaking, uh, like I really don't think a metal pipe should break after six or seven uses but uh, well, things mind, like the 2x4 make a little more sense. in rain and snow for about 20 years so yeah. there's well, some plausibility yeah, there I guess you have to <laughs> yeah you have to consider that much <laughs> Jamie sounds like a man who's tested the metal pipe strength out oh yeah he, he's over at the you know yeah. metal pipe testing departments in, in BC <laughs> you know we have the yeah. control group which is you know freshly made pipe uh hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit too about the setup of the game. Um, apparently, from the way you guys have been talking, you go from area to area. Um, are these set up in 
sort of stages? Are there boss battles at the end? Um, are there boss battles in the game? Uh, you know, um, so there are there's only one pseudo boss battle I can think of. Yeah, there's sort of like almost boss rooms, sort of, where it's not like one enemy. It's just kind of uh, at the end of an area, there's a certain room that'll be really, really difficult. Uh -huh. Uh, with the amount of targets to deal with, but there's no set bosses, okay. and there's not even really set areas. It's kind of just like uh, each city is an area, but it doesn't feel uh, like a stage. It doesn't feel like uh, this is level one and level two kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it just sort of, it's just a journey progressing through each city, and it, each city is kind of logically set up to be the next one based on the story. Right. Well, that's why I think it's almost more like a movie than than a game there's no exactly. gaminess to it right it's just literally get from point a to point b and enjoy the story that happens in between hmm. Hmm. okay how about uh was there anything else that you guys particularly enjoyed about the game music um you know backdrops i know you said the settings you know pretty much become uh, a character in the game yeah the, the backdrops and the graphics were beautiful um <clears throat> one thing that will strike any player immediately is that we're so used to playing post-apocalyptic I can't say that word post-apocalyptic <laughs> games that are all gray and black and you know destroyed but this is mm. in a post-apocalyptic setting that's been reclaimed by nature so there's a lot of lush greenery uh, there's a lot of wildlife um, you know at one point you run into some animals that have escaped a zoo oh wow so you know it's it's, you know, a really, really a world that you want to soak up and just take your time with and, you know, enjoy every little leaf that's blowing across a screen. Um, hmm. And the music... I it, think in that sense they... Um, sorry, before we get to the music, yeah. I think on that sense they took a lot of inspiration from the book slash movie documentary uh, The World Without Us. Um, I don't know if oh, I've yeah. ever yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's seen like, that. It's a really good comparison. I like that. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of the uh, uh, the post-apocalyptic style came from. Because um, one thing I actually like with the post-apocalyptic thing in this game is that a lot of games and movies for this sort of thing, they're showing the downfall. Like, it's very uh, current time, maybe uh, near future. But this is 20 years in the future, and it's like humanity's already lost. And at this point now, it's just about the survival mm -hmm. and just trying to keep going. I just wanted to kind of touch on that before we moved on to the music. Um, so, uh, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah, right. Um, the music is really minimalistic, so it doesn't interfere with anything. It's just really there to help set the tone of, of a setting or, you know, convey uh, what's going on in a cutscene. You know, really tense moments will have, you know, really rhythmic sort of beats and drumming happening. And really quiet moments will have just really simple, I don't know how to put it, like simple, quiet, melodic, soft guitar playing in the background. Um, mm -hmm. Perhaps we can put a link to uh, the soundtrack, which is on YouTube, which I, I highly recommend everybody listen to it. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I actually ordered a copy of the uh, physical CD for the soundtrack off eBay really enjoyed that okay yeah and there there are other sounds in the game too as as i've been told right um one of the more unsettling probably being the sound of the infected 
Simmental <laughs> clicking noise. Yeah. <laughs> the clickers. <laughs> yeah. Um, just enter a dark room, uh, you know, and it's all cobwebby, you know, very little light filtering in, and you just hear clicking and groaning, and it just makes the hair stand up. And mm. you're on the edge of your seat just wishing that nothing sees you so you can sneak through this area without stirring any trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely like how everything about the infected in this game were more unique than the typical zombies. It's not uh, your run-of-the-mill mindless zombie. It's uh, something special. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's great and, that um, they made uh, four types of zombies, basically. You have the, mm-hmm. the first stage of infection, which are called runners. And they are your typical mindless, you know, uh, bloodthirsty monsters. Uh, yeah, they're a bit closer to what most people expect from zombies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you have stalkers. Um, they, oh, I should say that the, the runners still have full sight. Uh, they still have full use of their vision. Stalkers have some vision. Um, and they will try to flank you. They're, they're, they're more sneaky than uh, runners are. Uh, clickers are the third stage of the infection. They're the iconic enemies of this game. They have no vision whatsoever because fungal plates have grown out of their skulls. And at one point uh, in the game, you're in a university and you see an x-ray of, of one of these clickers. And so you see mm. how this virus has taken over from the brain and grown out the eye socks it's 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 gross but it's cool um yeah and they're the ones that obviously make that clicking sound and the fourth and final uh progression of the virus uh are called bloaters and there are these big uh like the name implies bloated uh hulks and they're they're slow moving but they are powerful and they their fungus has almost grown into an armor on their body so they take a lot of uh, gunshots to take down. They will deplete your resources, and you want to avoid these guys at all costs. Yeah, and that's the pseudo boss that you were talking about. I'm that's right. From, yeah, uh, earlier. Yeah, uh, when you first meet these guys, it kind of is a bit of a boss mm-hmm. fight. But then later on, uh, they turn into almost regular enemies, though not as common as the other types. So is that the final stage of the disease, or does you know do these guys? It's the final. Um, it's the final active stage. Uh, I, uh, it's not really considered a final stage, but I almost want to say the real final stage is um, the point where they've, uh, like it's touched on a few points in the game, uh, where uh, the infected will eventually feel ready to die almost, and they go and they lay down in the corner and just turn into nothing but fungus. Like their bodies just deteriorate. Yeah, just sort and of like kind imagine, of morph into the wall. Imagine moss growing yeah. on a tree, just spreads along yeah. the walls and. They become part of the building. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, uh, their uh, bodies just give off these spores, which will carry the infection through the air, and anyone caught in the area without some sort of gas mask will be infected themselves. I see. Okay. All right. But most times throughout the game, they don't consider that a form. It's just kind of the death stage, I guess. Okay. With um, Parasite Eve, you know, one of the things that we kind of discussed were the, the weapons and the... Uh, ability to manipulate weapons it seems like there's a little of that going on here um and it might be a, a fair or a good comparison point for you guys to maybe talk about you know the weapon systems basically the different types of weapons and and maybe what were your favorite weapons in the game what did you enjoy using the most uh, i think for me 
Let's see. I think uh, there's one called El Diablo. It's a pistol uh, that you get uh, fairly late in the game, maybe three quarters of the way through. I think that probably has to be my favorite one. It's a very powerful but um, limited capacity uh, pistol, uh, which is in most cases a one-hit kill, maybe two at most. And uh, like its name implies, it's just extremely powerful and loud <laughs> and uh, just a fun weapon to use. Yeah, that's that's definitely a great weapon, and I really loved it too. Um, as far as as the uh, uh, firearms go, that was probably my favorite. Um, it really helped me get out of a few jams where I could use the noise that it created to uh, attract enemies in one direction while I ran away, and you know also just take out a, a target in one shot. Um, because uh, as, as later on in the game, the enemies basically get stronger to ramp up the difficulty. So I uh, relied on on the shorty, the shot off, uh, sawed off handgun or shotgun, sorry, a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. Too. Um, but ultimately, two by four, two by four all the way. <laughs> <laughs> now we're. Yeah, that's that's true. That's definitely a good one. Now were you in this game? Were you limited um, as far as what you could carry? Like, could you just? you know, keep carrying inventory, could you deposit it somewhere, or, you know, was it just no. a short supply? It's just short supply on the ammo, but in terms of capacity for weapons and stuff, uh, they kind of drop the realism with that, and you are a bit of a one-man army carrying, like, I think it's like 12 guns wow. or something like that at the same time. I think you carry a hunting rifle, a bow, a pistol, a revolver, the El Diablo. Like four pistols. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, you've got a whole arsenal at your disposal, yeah. but they Two different they all might only have four or five shots at most. Okay. So mm -hmm. you have options, but your, your options are limited at the same time. Yeah, and that four or five shots that you mentioned, that's on normal mode on Survivor. Uh, most of the time my guns were empty, and I'd have maybe three guns that had like two to four shots mm -hmm. each. A lot of times I was really stretching for ammo. Right. And actually on that point, um, I noticed that a lot of times if you do a stealth kill, um, the enemies didn't drop ammo for some reason. I think it was, I don't know if it's just uh, intentional or if it was a bit of a glitch, but uh, they it seemed like if they haven't pulled out their weapon, they wouldn't drop anything. Which I well, found extremely annoying because it, well, that makes in sense. some cases, discourages stealth kills. Uh, yeah, it sort of makes sense, but it seems like if you've killed them and you're a bit of a scavenger, you loot the body. Well, let me, oh. yeah, that that's another sort of immersion-breaking experience, but let me mm. say why it makes sense. It's one of the few it's, bad points I have. Enemies will always react to Joel's action. If he sneaks into a room and stealth kills somebody, they won't have their gun drawn thus no ammo to to be dropped but i mean you think about it realistically like why can't i go through this guy's pockets or whatever right but then at the mm -hmm. same time you have to realize you are playing a game that wants to be a movie <laughs> yeah i just found that it, uh, in some cases seemed to discourage the stealth kills a little bit and because uh, i'd be so low on ammo where i'm like well i know if i pull out my gun and start shooting uh, what little ammo i do have it'll um, encourage them to pull out their weapons and then he'll get more ammo. In most cases, more than I use to kill them, as long as I'm careful with my shots. I think even if you showed your enemies that you had a weapon, it would sort of put them on edge. Mm -hmm. It would get them to draw yeah. their guns. And, um, you know, you, you could use that to your advantage too. 
Yeah, definitely. I really like how um, that's one thing to touch on too with the different groups is that the infected, no matter what you're doing, they're just going to run at you as long as I see you or hear you. But the humans, if you're being stealthy, then they'll be kind of stealthy. And if uh, you're running on guns blazing, uh, then uh, they'll see you have a gun and they'll uh, like go from charging at you to being like, hey, he has a gun. And then they uh, like scamper back to the nearest cover and, and hide and start like popping out to get occasional shots on you but mm -hmm. see i don't know uh, this, even though it uh, makes i don't know if anyone makes you more, this, uh, more powerful but um whenever enemies or human enemies found out that i had a gun they would run back to cover and then they would throw molotov cocktails at me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that sometimes you got that too um, okay a little bit yeah Depends on the enemies. The, it seemed like the Molotov cocktails weren't too common. But that definitely was more common when I had the gun than without. Yeah, well, so if you've... You say you're carrying around and, you know, you have this inventory of, like, 12 weapons. Was it fairly easy to um, switch back and forth between weapons sort of on the fly? Or did you have to sort of plan that out? Um, was that kind of a big part of the game was planning out, you know, what you were, what you were going to use and... Um, how you would have like access to it or quick access to it. Well, you always the the game is designed in such a way that you have your favorite weapons mm -hmm. on hand. Like um, you'd have those, you know, like at the top of your inventory list. But um, the inventory is done in a really um, exciting way that the game doesn't pause while you're crafting or cycling through your weapons. So you do have mm -hmm. to plan when you're going to go into your inventory because that's when an enemy can sneak up on you that's when a clicker can come bite you or you can be flanked so you have to really make sure that you're safe before you um go even to reload okay yeah right so you know i, I was thinking you know i have heard some discussion about how you progress through the seasons of the year and how you know things just start amping up as you go through the game um just want to hear kind of about you guys favorite areas of the game you know maybe favorite towns uh favorite seasons uh, and some you know reasons for that i think for me favorite town probably mainly just because of the character who's in it i'd say i'd have to go with uh i think it was called lincoln which is the town where you meet the character Bill. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I mean, Bill was sort of one of my favorite secondary characters, just because of the much-needed comic relief that he added. Like, he had some really good lines and interaction with Ellie, and I just really enjoyed him. He was a fun character. Uh, there were some other characters who I thought, as characters, they were very well-written, and I think they were generally more interesting people, but um, uh, in terms of just a likable person, uh, Bill was my favorite. And uh, so uh, because of that, the attachment I had to him, uh, it made his whole town, to me, one of the most fun places to play. Yeah, uh, Lincoln is a really uh, cool town to explore because it's, it's got a lot of um, a lot of alleys. It's really maze-like, but a lot of stores and buildings you can go into that show remnants of uh, the world before the... Um, collapse into chaos like you can go into a record store and that will trigger a optional conversation or you can in in sort of 
because Bill's a very paranoid character, so he's blocked areas off and you have to climb over uh, semi-trucks and all. So it's, it's really maze-like and um, you have to watch out for his traps. So it's, even though you're in a relatively safe place, you can't let your guard down. My favorite season would be winter. Uh, just because the yeah, game really shifts gears in winter. Joel has been pretty seriously wounded, so you take control of Ellie, and you have to find medication for Joel. And you are introduced to the most, um, I think deranged is the only way I can put it, <laughs> character named uh, David. Yeah, he's something special. <laughs> yeah, um, really, you have to see David's scenes to, to really understand what he's about. Yeah, and he's voiced uh, brilliantly by Nolan North. Did you guys realize that? I didn't even realize that. I did, yeah, the same guy who did uh, Nathan Drake. Yeah, he's, yeah, Nathan Drake. He does a very uh, non-Nathan Drake. He he really departs from his uh, typical uh, 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 shtick to the point where I didn't realize it was him until way after the fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that voice acting was really well done. Like His his mental instability is really um, conveyed through his voice. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was uh, for me the favorite season too, and definitely winter by far. Um, just in general, I usually uh, enjoy winter uh, scenes in games. Uh, like uh, they end up uh, being uh, like the environments are nice to look at, and um, uh, the ambience is usually really nice. But uh, yeah, in terms of the events and stuff, it's definitely one of the most intense and emotional scenes. Yeah, it's it's a Canadian thing. We really like winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, one thing I wanted to touch on for winter is uh, what did you guys think about the interrogation uh, that Joel gave? To sort of like, I felt that that really put him on the spot as not maybe not so much of a good guy, but maybe a little bit something else. Well, there's a bit of a duality to that scene. I think, yeah, definitely he's mm-hmm. he's not a good guy, but he's fighting with all he's got for somebody he really cares about um Mm. yeah you you see that he's he's lost his sense of humanity but he hasn't lost his sense of um you know caringness in a way that's 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 the only word i can think of right now um Mm. like he he does care about ellie and he wants to see her survive um yeah uh uh he's definitely he has his good side, and uh, overall his intentions seem good, but um, uh, generally I found that he seemed to be uh, portrayed as like subtly actually a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a good analysis. So there was, I guess it's fair to say, there was, there was a lot of hype around this game when it, um, you know, in, in 2013. Um, and, a little bit. <laughs> well... <laughs> But, uh, so I, I take it as, as most of the people who played it in our playthrough, you, you guys really enjoyed the game. Um, and, and I guess I just, I, I want you to, to talk a little bit, the three of you talk a little bit about, you know, what it was that, um, you enjoyed so much about the game and, and if the, the hype, um, as it was, um, if the game really lives up to that hype. Well, I got to talk about, I, d- in many ways, I did not care for the game uh, too much. And one of the things, 
we've been talking about here is the the level of immersion and and how much of how much of this is actually a game and how much of it is just cinematic and are we just uh playing our way from cutscene to cutscene and i can't help but compare my experience in this game to uh splinter cell conviction which was a game that f had stealth in it but it was broken up into levels that were broken up into sections that you could reset if you mess them up and start over again. And it was a stealth game where if you got caught, you can go on a shooting spree, much like The Last of Us. But when I was playing Splinter Cell Conviction, I was compelled to reset the level every time I broke stealth. And when I started playing uh, The Last of Us, I had the same compulsion. And you do have that option if you uh, break stealth and get caught, you can just pause the game and, and restart the encounter. And I found myself doing that a lot in the beginning, but I quickly realized that how much that was breaking the immersion uh, that the game was trying to provide for me. Um, and I just felt like uh, over time, over the 15 or so hours of the game, that there was the, the the immersion just eroded away until there was nothing leaving me caring about these characters to the point where uh when a main character died i was more happy than i was upset or uh you know sad about anything and i found myself kind of uh looking forward to characters being killed off because i didn't like them and uh by the time I got to the ending, I was actually hoping that the ending was controversial because Joel and Ellie would die at the end. And uh, I, I wasn't uh, like, you know, it sounds sadistic to say I was disappointed that they didn't just die at the end, but uh, that's how little I actually cared for these characters. I, I was disappointed when Bill didn't get killed, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh, like I know uh, Jamie liked him as a character, and I get what you're saying about how he was well written and funny. But like, and I I understand the the point of of the characters is that they're not likable, they're flawed, they're supposed to be that way. But then they're un it's it's hard to sympathize with them, and it's it's on one level you're supposed to care about them because we're all flawed and we're all, you know, we try to put ourselves in this uh, situation. What would we be like? What would we do? But I'm playing a video game and it's, you know, in the beginning of the game when Tess, uh, you know, I'm trying to be stealthy and Tess runs in and opens fire and breaks stealth. Uh, so 45 minutes later when she sacrifices herself, I'm not sad that she sacrificed herself. I'm happy that she's dead and out of my way because I didn't like her and she was messing up the experience for me. So let me, just, let me just point out that at this point we know that we do not want to be with Sean during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is going to want all of us dead. Because <laughs> if something happens, he's just not going to care. You know, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but I, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. I mean, and I guess that yeah. that is sort of one of the dangers of, you know, moving into this cinematic type of game is that if you do not fully immerse someone in that game, then you run the risk of it failing for that individual, you know, and 
Right. And that's and that's what I'm saying. Like with with Splinter Cell five, there was no bones about it. It was like an arcadey stealth hybrid kind of game. But with The Last of Us, it's like, okay, you're playing this like grand saga, this cinematic experience, but then, you know, through trial and error you just get killed all the time and the ai is really bad like like ellie can just walk out in front of an enemy a a lot and they won't see her but they'll see Mm -hmm. you very easily and i don't know if you guys noticed this i loved using the nail bomb weapon but if if there's two guys walking towards you and you hit one in the face with the nail bomb the guy behind them won't even notice so it's 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 cr- there are some crazy things with the stealth that just don't work. Again, just breaking the immersion that they uh, clearly wanted very badly. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I totally agree with you there. Um, that there would be moments where the game is telling you to play a certain way. Even a character will say, you know, be quiet, there's hunters, be quiet, there's infected. But meanwhile, they're going to be like thumping around, bumping into things, making a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And now I, I, on the other side of this, I don't, I don't want to just beat up the game. I'm trying to offer like a, you know, kind of a, a, a dissenting uh, opinion here. But and I, that's I have a counterpoint. Yeah, the, but the game does excel where it lets you avoid combat. And there are certain sections that are like beautifully done where you can actually sneak past clickers or sneak past bloaters. And I, that I loved. I loved, I, I, I love scenarios and games or, you know, uh, games in general where you can avoid combat. And this, that did work sometimes in this game. And I, I did like that. Yeah, on that uh, note, uh, there was a scene where the first time I played through on normal, uh, it's in the basement, the flooded basement of the university where uh, it's um, there's all the infected around and you're supposed to turn on a generator to enable uh, electronic uh, key uh, door lock uh, so you can escape from the area. And um, when you turn on the generator, well, I guess this is a little bit of a bad point to it, uh, sort of spawns in all these infected because they weren't there before. And suddenly you're dealing with like a bloater and a bunch of clickers and runners. Um, and the first time I played through, uh, I wasn't expecting it, and so it was like a bit of a wave of defense. I was just kind of in the room, uh, trying to dodge what I could and fight them off until I killed them all. That, that's how I tackled that area. Yeah, uh, but then uh, through my second playthrough this time, uh, which was even on survival, so I would have expected it to be more difficult. Uh, I I knew it was coming, and so I went through the whole place, explored everything I needed to do, and then the very last thing I did was turn on the generator. And so, as soon so as I did how that, how about I, you run us through that section for your playthrough? So you turned on the generator. What was your next move now that you knew enemies were spawning? Yeah, uh, so uh, now uh, this is the point where it ties in with what Sean was saying. Um, I knew enemies were spawning and I knew where the exit was. So I And I already had the uh, key card to get out. I just needed to turn on the generator. So I uh, get that done and then I run straight for the exit, which was actually blocked off by a bloater. But I got really lucky in this point where he was doing his slow attack where he throws his little spore bombs at you. And so while he's doing that, I run past him, open the door, and just escape without killing a single enemy. And I found that that was totally lucky, but at the same time, really awesome that you can actually do that. You can escape an area, and it doesn't force you to fight everything that's in there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. My favorite um, stealth combat avoidance scene was in the bookstore. 
Um, that's sort of the two-story building where you first have to sort of navigate through a maze of um, uh, blockades, like roadblock type things. And so I, I really stealthily snuck through that maze without getting caught, um, got into the bookstore, um, and knowing where you need to go really helps in this game. Um, got up to the second floor of the bookstore. Um, I was actually spotted, uh, so I was able to uh, knock a guy back with a 2x4, and I managed to hide. But when uh, I found the exit, there was maybe three or four hunters standing right around there. So I was able to use a smoke bomb, distract them, and run straight through to the ending. Um, I think stealth is a lot of luck and using your environment to your advantage. I think, um, yeah, Jamie, you can you can attest to that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the stealth is very luck-based, but at the same time skill-based too. Mm -hmm. And like, as long as you're aware of where the enemies are, then uh, it's just about uh, making sure you're careful. And also not forcing yourself to constantly be progressing forward. You have to be willing to actually backtrack a little bit. Because there are certain times where you'll get into an area where you'd want, you see where you want to go, but uh, some enemies will come around a corner that you weren't expecting, and then suddenly you have to really quickly crouch and sneak back the way you came without them seeing you. Yeah, there are a lot of moments that are, it's, it's tempting to run to, to the goal, because it's so, mm -hmm. so close. But if you do, you're going to trigger a huge battle. So there are moments where it's best to just sort of lay low and wait for enemies to literally walk right past you as you're hiding behind a car or, you know, debris, and then just scoot on over to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, now, I think I'm going to touch on a few dislikes I had with the game, which some of them Sean kind of touched on before already. But uh, the major one for me was um, in, in terms of the AI, really. And that's uh, when uh, you're trying to sneak up on an enemy in stealth. There were a lot of points where, uh, obviously, uh, there were times where they should be able to see you. Like, just for some reason they don't, but they should. And you're a little bit out of their range. And you're staring right at them, but they don't see you. And then there are other times where I was sneaking up behind someone and repeatedly, uh, after I would die and have to try again, uh, within like three feet of them, they would suddenly turn around, scream at me, and start killing me. And <laughs> I uh, just, I couldn't understand for the life of me why this was happening. Like, I, uh, even after a couple times dying from it, I would carefully look everywhere, and I couldn't find any line of sight with another enemy that would have explained why this one suddenly turned around. And so there were immersion-breaking scenes like that where... I was trying to be stealthy, and the game was just like, no, this has to be a big fight. Mm -hmm. A lot of my... And so that was my main complaint. I, I'd say my main complaint is, and it's it's not a big one, really, um, but during my playthrough, there were a lot of times where I'd go into attack and just the hit wouldn't register. And, you know, so then Joel would have to go through his attack animation and sort of go back to his ready animation, and that opened me mm, up yeah. to just being pummeled. Yeah, that was a big problem too. Um, yeah, uh, like uh, I think it was something to do with if you had the enemies already in some sort of stunned animation and you tried to hit them again before their animation finished, it gave them some sort of invulnerability. And it didn't really make a lot of sense, but I mean, once you kind of got uh, the timing of it and you knew what to expect, it wasn't too bad because then uh, you just wouldn't attack until they were ready to die. But 
it definitely was a bit of an immersion breaking experience and in general there were a lot of problems like that with the gameplay mm -hmm. uh this is one of those kind of games that for me uh, the story was the focus and um whenever the story is really good in the game i can usually kind of be blinded to the problems with the gameplay and it's not that i don't see them it's just that i don't really care so much like if the story is enjoyable enough i can just let it slide i i agree uh, with you, back and you enjoy know, the, story. the story was really exciting enough that you know i could overlook that there were some technical problems or mm -hmm. um you know silly ai problems yeah i think that that one of our uh more prominent members here at rf generation uh mr crabmaster 2000 uh floyd knight we we speak to him on on an almost daily basis just uh shooting the crap and one of the things that he he had started he sort of picked it up late he he's trying to with the story you know he has limited time to play and um he's picked the game up and he started playing it sort of um late uh well actually when I, when I say late we're already into april so he's you know he he start he didn't start really playing it until april um now i, I do want to note that and and he he has several complaints and, and most of the ones that you guys have voiced as well but he hasn't completed the, the game yet most of his complaints tend to do with the um probably i would guess and you guys could probably uh floyd you could probably attest this he's probably halfway through the game does that sound about right yeah that sounds about right okay. um and i remember him saying like he, he really echoed sean in a lot of right. ways right um some of the some of the things he talked about was the the story not really being unique and you know as you know I think I think to a sense and what I've heard from you guys it, it is unique in the sense that it um, that there is this whole idea of, of, of spores and this whole takeover of nature as opposed to um, something so so unnatural as zombies so it, it does you know it does have that going for it in that sense. Um, and something else you guys mentioned that there's really no consequences for dying. It really doesn't change the story. Um, if you die, you can stop it and sort of reset the game, um, you know, pause and reset. And then one thing that he said, and he said that he didn't have any inventory issues, but again, that may be a problem early on in the game, or, or, or he may not be having that problem early on in the game, and maybe that's something that comes into more effect later i'm not sure so i'll just kind of let you guys talk about those concerns you know i thought one of the things like what i was saying with uh dying that they i don't think they contextualized uh dying very well and like i understand it's almost like uh you can do it two different ways and the way they did it was kind of like the way it's done in Dead Space, where when you die, they give you this like cool, gruesome scene of you being like, very, you know, killed in a very gory way. But then a split second later, you're just back in the game. And I feel like, again, not to sound like a broken record, but for when they're where they're trying to immerse you, they could have contextualized it somehow, and I don't know how, uh, but I'm not the game designer, but it, I, it made me think of the, the other way you can do it, which was like in Bioshock Infinite, where you have a companion character reviving you when you die. So it's, uh, it's not like you died, because like when you watch a movie, the characters don't die and then come back to life every five minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
so uh, and that's uh, I don't know it's a it sounds like a weird gripe but it's just it's on my list of things and I guess Krabby had the same uh, experience that that kind of just just took me out of it you well, know that's the rub is it I mean if you're trying to you're trying to make something a game that is like a movie but you know that's in, in all actuality that's not quite possible you know because you know, in, in the game you're going to die, it still remains a video game. So, you know, I guess you... you right, know, or sense. they have to make the... F- right, or they have to figure out a way to make the fail state something that they can contextualize. Like, and and it might end up being a very different game if you do that. It might end up being something like a heavy rain where, you know, you're not even, you know... It's a totally different game, but like I said, in Bioshock Infinite, it, it, there was just a little tweak to that. Mm-hmm. That it, it may not have even been the best idea. It may not right. have made sense. And even that, like, okay, so you see Elizabeth revive you every single time you die, but just something like that. I don't know. I think they just went for like, oh, look, you get your neck ripped out by a clicker. That's cool. Okay, here you go. Try this again. You know right. what I mean? Like. But even something like, but even something like reviving you, having another character revive you. I mean, it seems like that would get a little old hat after a while as well. You know what I mean? I mean, sure, and it makes, and, and admittedly, it makes very little sense. Even right. in, in Infinite, you're getting you know shot and killed multiple times, and and Elizabeth just injects you with something and you wake back up. But I'm just saying, like, just that little. It's different somehow for me. Huh. I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm just uh, splitting hairs too much. No, I mean to each their own. I mean, you know, that's you know, with this discussion, these discussions we're going to have about these games, we're not always going to like the same games, and that's that. That's really the beauty of it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, to see, you know, ultimately developers are going to want to try to connect with as much audience as they can, but they know that they're never going to hit 100%. There's no perfect game out there. You know, I mean, there's probably people out there that hate Super Mario Brothers. Um, that, those people should probably be hung upside down for a while, but they're, <laughs> they're probably out there, right? So, yeah. you know, it, it's always good to have these types of discussions and point out these, you know, these flaws in the game, and, and that's, what, that's what makes gaming better. That's what makes it progress, right? I mean, you know, having having feedback like that, so... So yeah, everything's valid. Right, and I, and I think we we are seeing like you were talking about the hype that this game got, um, and it's it's becoming kind of a common cycle of like a AAA game comes out, it gets hyped, it gets really good reviews right off the bat, and then you give it a couple of weeks, and people start to realize the the cracks in the armor, so to speak, and hey, let's look at The Last of Us and give it a serious, like, analytical look, mm-hmm. and it has a lot of problems. And then there's a backlash, right. and, you know, then the mob mentality of people who really like the game start clashing with people who are trying to be reasonable about the game. It's, it, You know, it's just one of the many problems of modern game journalism and game analysis in general. Well, and, and social media. You know, problems with <laughs> modern games and, yeah, and social media yeah. and everything. It's a much, much bigger picture thing, but we, you know, it's something that you have to touch on when you're talking about The Last of Us because it is really, like, one of the most overhyped and, you know, dare I say, overrated games I've seen in a long time. Uh, I'd like to touch on what you were talking about with the uh, problem of dying over and over again uh, and losing the emotional impact of it. Um, the 
the solution that I could think of off the top of my head uh, is really uh, like the only one I can imagine uh, is based on um, something uh, where you would uh, be more okay with multiple characters. Like, I think the problem in this game is that it's such a character-driven game that you can't really change characters uh, without uh, losing the impact. Um, but uh, I remember a friend mentioning a game, and I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head, where you, uh, when you die, you come back actually as a new character, and... Probably Demon Souls, right? Maybe, I can't remember. Uh, and uh, the previous character you had played as, uh, you would actually come across their body or their gravestone or something like that, and it's like, um, uh, this person oh. died here. Uh, it's sort of something like that, and I, uh, I think that's off the top of my head the only way I can imagine they could have done something like that to keep the immersion. Um, but uh, the problem with that uh, solution is that, like I said, this is a character-driven game, and once you take away the two main characters and replace them with someone else every few minutes, it just doesn't really work. You could, you could also just make people start the entire game over, which would be just super evil, right? Well, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking to just have um, a, maybe a little bit harsher checkpoints, but then, you know, people hate you know checkpoints that are aren't every two seconds so you have to contend with that too another you know problem of modern gaming is that the, mm -hmm. you know and and you know they work really hard on the checkpoints it's not an easy thing to have good checkpoints in a game and they were good in this game but uh you know to make them a little more uh you know to add to the difficulty of the game or maybe give them more consequence to dying uh mm -hmm. that might be that might have been one way to work it but and actually, um, one other thing that uh, I didn't like about the game was that very early on, um, and Crabmaster touched on this too, uh, how he mentioned that early on you are very weak and uh, then suddenly you get uh, super powerful. Um, I actually felt that uh, the parts early in the game, the fights where you're really weak, uh, I thought it was too difficult. Uh, like not even a good sort of difficulty, it was a frustrating difficulty to the point where you would get, uh, if you're on survivor uh, survivor difficulty and you weren't good at the game, you could be stuck in one room for an hour or something. Um, like I th think uh, almost everyone goes through this experience with the first room that you have the clickers in the uh, skyscraper uh, just outside the quarantine zone. Um, and there's these five clickers around, uh, or no, sorry, one clicker and four runners, and um, uh, you're supposed to uh, stealthily sneak through and kill as many as you can. And it always seems like no matter how you do it, someone always spots you. Like it's one of those cases where you're trying to sneak up on them and there's no one else who can see you and they just suddenly turn around and attack you. And it happens repeatedly and I just, I found uh, that that room and then there's another room later on in the same sort of sequence uh, that um, they're just so difficult and the ammo is so limited at that point uh, where it just seems to be a little bit uh, unfair uh, towards the player. Uh, whereas not long after that, suddenly the difficulty kind of smooths out a little bit. And it does eventually get to be a bit too easy, but uh, there's sort of a middle ground not long into the game where I feel it's uh, more appropriate. And I'm not sure if anyone else agrees on that point, or if that was just me. No, I was, I was, I was thinking about that as you were talking about it, and <clears throat> during my first playthrough, uh, yeah, that room was definitely really difficult. Because um, I totally tried to stealth through that section with, um, by, by only killing the one main runner that you had to. Uh, and then mm -hmm. just sort of making a beeline for the exit. But doing that, 
means you have to pull some kind of trolley and that would make a lot of noise and so i would just be rushed yeah. by um by runners and and just mauled so that section you do have to you know quietly go through pick off as many as you can and then just really you know make sure there's no enemies in that uh little you know sort of three four room area before you move on because any any amount of noise you make will will trigger them to run towards you yeah, and actually, now that I remember it more clearly, um, I think that was actually one of the rooms where you're forced to kill everyone. Because if I remember right, you pull the trolley, and then it's actually Ellie and Tess that go underneath the opening and grab something else to block something it. Something like from, that, yeah. Yeah, and so I think you were forced to actually kill every single enemy in there so that uh, they would be able to safely come down and help you out. And so I don't think stealth was even really an option there. Like, you can start with stealth, but at some point you have to kind of give up because it's just such a constrained area. And, it's extremely difficult to sneak around and usually at that point uh, you have either very little or no shivs and so mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, not easy to kill off the clicker. See, a, lot, a lot of people might complain about that aspect of the game but I think it was something that it did well and it was really it was like sort of contextual based combat. As you'd say like okay well I'm in, in tight quarters here so you know, I'm 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 gonna have to make sure there's no enemies before I move on to the next segment, because anything I do could, you know, c cause them to stir and and you know find me. Um, if mm -hmm. you're in in wide open spaces or places where you can go hide behind stuff, it was different. But if you're if you if you had to get through a door, if you had to, really, it seemed like this game had a, a mechanic of silence versus noise. And anything that involved mm -hmm. noise, you'd want to clear the room first, or clear the area first. Yeah, I just, uh, I felt like uh, it seemed in a real situation, uh, they would look at more options first, whereas in this, they kind of jump straight into, uh, alright, we gotta kill everyone in the room before we can move on. Maybe there wouldn't have been any more options, but it just uh, seems like in terms of the gameplay, every time it takes away the choice, uh, it kind of uh, ruins the experience for me at that point. But then... I mean, let's sort of look at it from perhaps a game design perspective. Is if you had that room predominantly full of clickers, um, and you stealth past them, you would still at least have a window of opportunity after moving that trolley and creating all that noise. Would that be as tense or as exciting as, you know, um, uh, having to deal with these enemies that? can see you and, and can find you if, if you're not uh, well hidden or quiet enough? Well, when I think about this um, one scene in the university later on that kind of does what I feel like it uh, would have been better to have done in this room too, is that um, you're in the dorm rooms and you're uh, it's kind of expected that you're going to be killing everyone off, but uh, then you actually have the option to not and uh, you can go up to the exit and I think if I remember the exit is partially blocked by something on the other side and you have to keep hitting square to nudge it open. And when you're doing that, the camera actually shifts so it's looking back down the hallway, uh, the long hallway that you just came from. And, and the first time I played through, I hadn't killed everyone off. And so as you're doing that, there's this really intense moment where you've actually got uh, the runners and clickers chasing you down the hallway as you're trying to bash through this door. And it's not like a cutscene or anything, it's just the gameplay. 
And uh, I feel like they could have done something like that with that room too, where everyone's rushing up in here and you're trying to quickly get through this exit. Yeah, that that's a good point. And, that's that's what I like too. Is there are often moments where, <clears throat> excuse me, where you had to make yourself very vulnerable um, while performing a um, a quick time event esque type action, and the camera would pan around so that it. You would see Joel trying to move something or squeeze through an area while the infected are running towards him, and it really, uh, really gets your heart rate up, and it's 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 tense, it's scary. It, it, that, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, um, uh, but uh, the thing that uh, for me makes that uh, kind of thing good is that in that room, for example, uh, the uh, the university one, it does give you the choice because on my second playthrough I had killed everyone off, and so it still did the same camera motion, but there was no one at the hallway. And so it was much calmer, and I, I feel like uh, if that first room had that choice where if you wanted to, you could kill everyone off and make it easier, in a way, uh, like uh, easier for the uh, objective, and then you could. But uh, if you wanted to, you could uh, try and sneak past, and then it'd be a little more intense at the objective. And I just, I feel like I don't uh, really like it when they took away the choice, because so many other areas of the game did have that choice, like we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I think um, even though there were moments where you had no choice and you had to clear out rooms i would automatically choose to you know take out every enemy because at least for me i felt a lot safer if i couldn't hear anything or just heard ambient noise mm -hmm. because if i like in my mind i knew if i heard clickers somewhere that means that you know I, i'm probably gonna die at this section uh, I, I think yeah. that Definitely, there was there was solace in in those all those quiet moments. So, are there any um, any other aspects of the game that you guys um, wanted to discuss at this point? Um, bring up. Yeah, you know, I think we should. Uh, why don't we bring it home with a quick discussion of the ending and the controversy and how we felt about it? How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, good to. Good way to end with the ending. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is that when, when a game like this comes out and it's, uh, again, massively hyped and everything, and then everybody's talking about the ending, that ending, oh my God, the ending. So you, you do your best to avoid spoilers and you're thinking you get to a point where there's no way, whatever it is, it can't live up to whatever you're imagining. And... You know what actually happens at the ending. I thought was brilliant, and 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 I really thought like like were people shocked that uh, Joel lied to Ellie? I guess I should explain. Like you finally get Ellie to um, the the Firefly base where they're gonna perform an operation on Ellie that will uh, you know it'll produce a cure possibly but she will die so joel uh goes into rage mode and kills everybody and and rescues ellie but she doesn't know any of this has happened because she's unconscious and uh so the ending and what everybody got upset about was that you know she basically says like you know you really had no other choice right or, or there was really nothing that could be done right because he he told her that you know they couldn't figure it out basically and uh so he said, yeah, like, no, there was nothing they could do. Sorry. Like, he lies to her, and that's where everybody got, I guess, upset 
you could say, but I, I thought that was great. Like, yeah, yeah um, I, I was expecting, you know, I, what I was expecting everybody got upset about. And again, I was hoping that both of them would just die at the end. I, I, that would have been great. Like, oh, yeah, that would have been brutal. Like, oh, it would have been just, a very poetic ending if you think about it. Right. If they both had died, even like in a random, stupid way, that would have been great. And uh, like I, I mentioned in PMs with you, Floyd, the end of the original Night of the Living Dead. And I won't get into it, but if you've seen that movie, like the way that ends, it's just like, oh my God, like I was hoping that exact thing would happen in this, but it didn't. And however, like I was, I was really, I really liked the ending. So I I don't know what you guys thought, but like, and tell me like how, not only what, what did you think, but like, how did you feel about it in the context of like what everybody else thought about it and like the controversy over it? Well, I uh, think. For me, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, for me, uh, I, um, uh, I do have uh, that same like, uh, oh my god, that ending kind of opinion. But uh, it's not a bad thing. Uh, like for me, uh, I actually really like the ending too. Uh, uh, I thought uh, that if they had died, I think that would have been cliche because really that's what people expect in that kind of game. It's like, all right, this is a really dark, brutal game. Uh, there's no way these characters are going to live through the end, or at least one of them has to die. And so the whole time I was thinking someone's going to die here at the end and you get to the end and no one dies except for some of the minor characters but no one you care about dies and uh, it's so out of left field like it's just something that most movies of this caliber and games uh, don't do really and I thought that was great like uh, to me that uh, was the controversy really that uh, people weren't expecting a kind of quote-unquote happy ending uh, when it's such a brutal game i think that's where the controversy is uh, they're like well this is supposed to be sad why isn't this sad mm-hmm. and it's like well it sort of is in a way because uh, uh, and at the same time uh, it's also not a happy ending in the way that uh, joel picked ellie over all of humanity like he sacrificed humanity for one person and, and like his reasons for doing that were a little selfish too because he's still suffering from survivor's guilt of his daughter's death and he sort of sees Ellie subconsciously maybe as a replacement for his daughter. And I think that it sort of paints him as more of the bad guy. Yeah. Like even throughout the final sequence with yeah, the doctors in, and they're like... In video games... Uh, you're... Sorry. Yeah, in video games, really, I think it's it's common consensus that you want to play as the good guy and save the world at the end of the day. Um, but this is really the total opposite and so joel lies to ellie saying that they couldn't find a cure but um i think he says they're still working on it and and he also said that there were others that uh, were immune too just like a right. dozens were immune yeah and and that uh you know so um at, at at the very end ellie says to joel promise me that uh, everything we went through wasn't for nothing and that everything you just told me now is the truth and Joel uh, swears by it. And Ellie says, she, she pauses and says, okay. And it cuts. And that's the end. Um, you know, and it's, it's almost like there's, there's a, a, a hint of disbelief. Like in, in within right, Ellie. Yeah, you, I saw that too. Um, you have to decide if you think Ellie knows or not. And, and mm-hmm. I, I definitely think she knows. And that's why I like the ending because they're going to, they're going to lie together and they're going to lie to each other and they're going to live with it. Uh, oh man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the yeah, more definitely. I think about I, it. I, I agree it, with it's what so you said good. there. 
Um, I think a lot of people disagree with me, but I think that Joel made the right decision because Joel is, is a person who has lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost everyone who's close to him. Uh, Bill, Tess, um, you know, he's the, the world has fallen apart. So he's got nothing left. And yeah. to have this person come into his life, Ellie, who does care for him, it's it's a selfish de selfish decision to, to keep her alive, but he's looking after his best interest first. And he's really, in a way, I think there, there's a f there might be a few moments where Ellie hints at, you know, being afraid of dying. Um, you know, she's, she's sort of accepting of it, but doesn't want to, um, cause it's, it's revealed that, that she's infected and, or she was been bitten, but she hasn't been, uh, infected. Um, so that, that, uh, question of mortality is always in her mind. And when, when Joel chooses to save what's important to him, it's, it's almost like you would want to keep your world, your anything that makes sense to you alive, even if the world around you is completely desolate and destroyed. It, it would give him some semblance of, of hope. And he even says while he's uh, handling the watch that his daughter gave him at the very beginning of the game is you have to find something to keep fighting for. And for him, that is the memory of his daughter and um, Ellie. Right, and I think I I think the and I, I think it's a little more, like it, it's almost a no brainer to me. Like I try to put myself in his shoes, and I like I would do what he did in a heartbeat. Like I don't care who it is. Like I I think if it was my wife, like I don't have any kids, but if it if 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 it was even like the surrogate child, like it was to him, like. <laughs> or, you know, my sister or something, like, forget about it. Like, I wouldn't even think, like, I wouldn't even be, like, as soon as, um, what's her name tells me that, like, the person's going to die, it's like, not we're out of here. Like, forget about you. Like, yeah. it, again, like, no controversy there for me. But uh, I guess that's what some people, oh, like, he sacrificed humanity. And, and like, what what good would have cure of like you played 15 hours through this game that's just a freaking wasteland and the whole point is that like there's no hope for humanity like i would just take my companion whoever it was and just <laughs> try to survive yeah and keep yeah going. And like f first of all would that uh vaccine work um like how are they going to test it you know if everything's destroyed um right again there's so few like normal humans left like what good is it gonna do i i there's there's a lot of deeper questions and like things revolving around his choice but uh, to me his choice was a no-brainer and again the whole thing of the shared lie was just brilliant on top of that like and and for as much as i complained about the game itself like you guys talked about the intro of the game which I agree was amazing. The ending of the game was amazing. And just like sandwiched in between that was, you know, 14 and 15 hours of mediocre third person cover base shooting and stealth. But man, the, the intro and the ending were amazing. Yeah. I, I can't disagree yeah. with you. Uh, cause, um, everything in between the opening and closing cinematics were 
nothing new, nothing innovative. Um, it was it was just your typical third person stealth survivor game, with you know at least in my opinion really well written, well acted uh, cutscenes. But yeah, then but then you no, go totally. right back into a fairly you know average well not I can't say average but a fairly um, uh, tried and true gameplay mechanic. Right, right, and and yeah, like the the um, just to put out there, like the presentation in this game was amazing. Like as much as I'm picking on the actual gameplay, like everything around it, like you guys talked about the graphics, but you just mentioned the um, you know the voice work and the mocap work. Like if if you've seen the the movie, the behind the scenes movie, like they did some crazy. Like the actual voice actors also did the mocap, which was really cool to see uh yeah that was really good they did a, the scenes documentary yeah and they all did an amazing job so like the presentation like and that's what that's what makes it the triple a game that it is that makes what that's what makes it the blockbuster that it is 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 the the production values are the highest of the high you know so that and I'm not discounting that. Like that was amazing. The graphics were amazing, and like you said, the music and everything else. So I, mm. I'm not I can't disagree with that. So then, then here here's a really uh, big question for you guys: Is this game better as a game or a movie? I think it would. I think it would probably fit better as a movie. I really enjoyed it as a game, but um, not. I think it was mentioned in the. Uh, topic on RF about it, but uh, there is actually a movie in development, according to multiple reports. I'm pretty sure it was actually confirmed by Naughty Dog. Um, so we might actually get to see how that turns out and um, get to really learn uh, if uh, it works better as a movie versus a game. The only thing I think that the game can do a little bit better is that it uh, allows more time for you to get attached to the characters and stuff like that uh, versus a two or three hour movie where everything yeah, is going to be think, uh, um, naturally a little more rushed. I think if it were a movie, you'd lose out on a lot of those little moments where there'd be like contextual mm. conversations. So, Sean. But overall, I do oh, think sorry. that uh, it's... Uh, um, I was just going to say, overall, I think uh, that uh, a movie could uh, present it a bit better than a game just because, like we've talked about, some of the gameplay elements felt a little bit... Um, unnecessary almost and out of place uh, like you're going from cutscene to cutscene you just kind of want to see how the story ends but that's almost like a, right. a naughty dog formula like we know from uncharted it's clear this uh, room of enemies earn yourself a cutscene go platform over there get a cutscene rinse wash mm. repeat um so right and oh go ahead no I, I was just gonna hand it over to you for for your take on a game or movie I I think for the reasons like we're saying strong ending uh you know strong intro strong ending you you throw in some good scenes I think you could get some character development in a 2 hour movie some bonding between the main characters I think you can get it done and I think it would make a good movie I I felt more worn out you know what like I I do applaud the game for being not just six to eight hours long like most games are nowadays it, this game really w was possibly uh longer than it needed to be but uh you know they took a risk there that i kind of appreciated so uh but but to answer your question i think it would make a good movie 
So um, I look forward to it if it does actually happen. Yeah, yeah. So 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 far we're th- uh, three for three because I agree that it should be a movie too. Um, although my only um, uh, issue that I would have is that we have things like The Road. We have 28 Days Later. Yeah, we have I wanted to touch on that too. Children of Men. You know, I hope The Last of Us, the movie, can do something to stand out from that pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I think true. Uh, Children of Men is a good comparison because uh, it's very similar. Uh, you're trying to escort this person who is um, immune to the problem that uh, the, the main plot is focused on. And the difference being the ending, though, because Children of Men, um, I hope that anyone watching this has already seen it, so I'm not spoiling anything, but um, in the end, uh, they hand off the person to the people who are supposed to save them. Kind of the equivalent of uh, The Last of Us, uh, The Fireflies, uh, like you're handing off the person to the uh, the group that's uh, fighting the government and trying to keep humanity going. Um, uh, and then in The Last of Us, they do the exact opposite, and the person doesn't get handed off to the group, and they go off to kind of live life more normally and uh, give up on humanity. Which, um, now, something I actually wanted to touch on uh, for the ending uh, is, even though I do uh, feel personally that I think he made the wrong choice, uh, just on a moral level, uh, I do see, like what Sean was saying and what others have said before, the point of uh, humanity's kind of long lost, like it's not really worth saving anymore. Uh, the people who are left are these like, cannibals and scavengers and just brutal people who aren't worth saving at all and uh, ellie is kind of uh, a representation of what's good in the world and she's one of the few good things left and the uh, tommy's group is a group of good people and so it's just trying to uh, save what is actually good and sacrifice uh, what joel sees as uh, a brutal world that doesn't uh, deserve saving mm-hmm. yeah sort of in in my own mind um my little epilogue I see Joel and Ellie returning to Tommy's Dam and just sort of carrying out the rest of their days together with those who are um, important to them while the world, uh, you know, careens towards its inevitable collapse. Yeah, I kind of share the same sentiment there. I think that's what probably the way it was kind of set up is just for you to kind of hope that that's what happens. Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, I don't personally feel that that was the right choice, but I uh, do see it. I see what they were going for, and uh, I agree that's probably uh, supposed to be the general idea of what uh, Joel was going through, like sort of uh, uh, partially the reasons why he did what he did. Right, so it sounds great, guys. Um, You know, uh, again, I'm... You know, I know I'm getting leaked a little bit of the spoilers here, and you know, as a, as a part of this um, playthrough wrap up group, I I understand that, but I I, I do want to say that just from all the the talk, I'm still very interested in uh, checking out the game. Um, you know, once once I do get a PS3 and um, able to do that, um, but um, I want to just take a minute to um, we we had several people. Uh, that actually joined us this month, and I just want to take a minute to thank those uh, few. And please, it, guys, correct me if I'm pronouncing some of these names wrong. Um, first of all, uh, Disposed Hero, who is uh, 
he he plays almost all of our playthroughs. He's such a beast, uh, and we really appreciate him joining us in this one. Uh, we also had um, uh, Raid Rado. Is am I pronouncing that right? Uh, I usually say Raidu, but I'm okay. not sure which is the okay. right way. <laughs> and uh, and then next we had uh, High Wind, who actually joined us, and uh, Black Label Skate, uh, another one of our uh, more prominent members on the website. And I think, was I the only one who was playing the game for the first time? Uh, I'm almost certain everybody else was on their second or third playthrough on this game, which made things kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I'm think not, you, I think most people had played yeah. it. Yeah, you and Radu were the f- uh, the two first-time players. Everyone else oh, were doing okay. new game pluses. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, actually, I just, I'm looking at the thread right now, and I do see that Highwind says he started it last year but didn't get very far, so uh, this would be his first complete playthrough. Um, I don't remember seeing if he had actually finished it or not, though. I see. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Um, really enjoyed the discussion, and... Um, Again, really looking forward to checking out this game at some point in the future. And want to thank everyone for uh, listening to our wrap-up cast. And um, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great game. Definitely recommended to those who haven't played it yet. Myself, Floyd, Jamie, and Sean, I'd like to thank you for listening to episode one of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap Up. We're all excited about this new venture and encourage you to join us each month in our modern and retro playthroughs. And who knows, maybe we'll even debate a few of your comments during this podcast. In April, the retro playthrough will be doing a slew of Activision titles on the Atari 2600. These titles include Enduro, Sequest, Spider Fighter, Pitfall, Kaboom, Keystone Capers, Sky Jinx, and Stampede. During the month, we'll have high score challenges. We'll be working toward earning those elusive Activision badges, and we'll even be giving a few prizes out at the end of the month. On the modern side, we'll be playing Magical Star Sign for the Nintendo DS. This is kind of a cute RPG that I don't think a lot of many, a lot of people know about. It's sort of a hidden gem on the system. Usually runs around five bucks for the game but a great RPG and I think you'll have a lot of fun if you join along with us. Currently this podcast can be found on Podomatic and YouTube and in the near future we'll have it posted up on iTunes. If you like it please share it with friends, family, and maybe even people you don't like. Again thank you to all who have supported the playthroughs over the last year and we hope our discussions encourage continued play and dialogue on the forums. Until next time, happy gaming.